Welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and as always, I'm joined by Julian Darius. Julian, how are you doing? You okay? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. We're at the end of the season. We're here for the wrap-up and final review. I'm very excited to see how we are coming with our scores and not, you know, those sorts of... Any final thoughts we're going to have on these films in retrospect and in reflection? So, yeah, I I kind of enjoy these episodes sometimes. We get to... (laughs) look back at what we've seen it reminds me because i look at the list i'm like oh yeah shit we watched uh you know that was part of this list feels so long ago yeah no it does and you know especially we did the we did the 50s as sort of beginning of the season and then we have um 12 to uh round out the season and yeah that's quite quite a long list to sort of go back and think okay well i guess that's like 24 weeks or so yeah, that's like over six months worth of sort of, uh, you know, of films that we've had to think about and come on in retrospect. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll give a quick list. We've already given the wrap up and our review with the 50s one and go go back and have a look at that. That was a completely different sort of block. Um, but let, let, I'll just give a rundown. This We did Eyes Without a Face, uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth, Star Trek The Motion Picture, Bookaroo Bonsai, Little Shop of Horrors, Demolition Man, Strange Days, Event Horizon, Gattaca, Open Your Eyes, Vanilla Sky, and The Fountains. So that is a really diverse list, really, when you go back and look at it. You're like, yeah, that it's not, you know, one type of sci-fi. That covers all sort of bases there. Um, so it's been yeah, really and, and I'm really proud that we have, uh, you know, we have a British film with The Man Who Fell to Earth. We have a French film with Eyes Without a Face. Yeah. We have a Spanish film with Open Your Eyes and an American uh, reinterpretation of it. Uh, you know, I, I'm quite pleased with the diversity and also like we've got one from the 60s, two from the 70s, uh, two from our favorite decade, the 80s. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we actually have three from uh, 1997, Event Horizon, oh. Gattaca and Open Your Eyes. I was going to say that like 97 became a bit of a Yeah, became a bit of a, uh, a, like a focal point uh, uh, you know, towards <laughs> the end. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the only thing I'll say is this is probably the first well, we did, got, you know, um, you know, well, no, we haven't done it for a while, but this is the first season where we haven't had a, I think, a Japanese mm. um entry. So, but yeah, no, it's good to see we're getting other diverse, like you say, sort of French and Spanish and and uh, uh, British. So, yeah, we've had, well, you know, the 50s was quite British, we had a lot of Quater Mass, so it's sort of like you know, great representation. Yeah. Um, and we'll have more Japanese stuff. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I also like having uh, something animated in there. And this mm. was the first season where we didn't have something animated, but we'll get back to that. Uh, oh, yeah, I do yeah. think that this season was defined by stuff that we hadn't seen more than previous seasons. Mm. And, you know, kind of giving us the joy of forcing ourselves to watch some of these movies, some of which we've wanted to watch for a long time, we've heard about, and being able to then springboard out of that and discuss it with 
you know, my buddy and, and talk about what what is this? Yeah, there was definitely a couple on this list where, yeah, where I was like, you know, I can't. Well, there's two where I was like, I can't wait for him to see this. One of them paid off. Um, <laughs> the other one less so. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's you know, I've really there's been a couple as well that like completely new to me that I'm just really glad, you know, they were they were a new experience really to watch. Um, so I think we should should we start from the beginning? Should we start yeah. with um, Eyes Without a Face? Um, black and white French um, sort of a, almost like noir sci-fi horror mm. um, obviously go back to the episode what listen to the to the whole episode for all of our discussions but this was a, a, a bit of a belter to start the se- the season with and I'd not seen it before um, not, not when I was I was really sort of um, fully aware of yeah nor had I um, but you know it's one of those films that shows I'm a big fan of obviously French literature and French movies and stuff. And, mm. um, but I have holes in my knowledge and this is one of those that shows up on every list of like best European sci-fi, best French sci-fi. And so I'm glad to have seen it. Oh yeah, no, I really enjoyed this. And I was, you know, the thing we sort of focus on is sort of how, um, different it was to, of the sci-fi and stuff of the of the period like this was brutally like um frank <laughs> about <laughs> some about some of its you know content um the facial surgery that um you know as i sort of said as watching it i'm like oh this will cut in a minute or this will cut in a second or i want that but it'll cut in a second and it doesn't it just keeps going and you're just like oh my god like this is what they're doing um, well, you and I are fans of like RoboCop and, and yeah. <laughs> especially the the violence of the eighties. So you know, um, maybe uh, this was a, a spiritual uh, influence. It definitely felt it. I mean, the thing is, like you said, the, the the comparison you know that you and I sort of made, I think at the time, was Psycho. Mm. And in that, they're like, you know, oh my god, yeah, there's so much implied. It's scary. And I'm like, oh yeah, there's nothing implied in some of this. <laughs> some of this is just like. <laughs> And it holds you there, and that's the point of how sort of like you know what this is, um, and I, I really appreciated that. Yeah, the other thing I liked about this is it's so stylish. I'm such yeah. a sucker for it. it's black and white, but you know it's so it's so stylish. Whether they're out on the town and they're sort of uh, scouting for new victims, yeah. you know, or they're inside that castle, and you know. Um, you know, it's like that could easily be a sort of silly Frankenstein's lair thing. And mm-hmm. instead it feels so evocative and stylish in a really good way. Yeah, all the sets in this were really good. Like it was one of those, I'll say, one of the things I'm sort of, I've been thinking about re- recently, watching a couple of films, is like set designers and set dressers and the, the job that they do. And I don't think it's something we've ever mentioned. It's sort of, you know, but like even going back to these films, like it's it can make or break a scene because like you know the acts can be fine, everything else can be great, and then if the sets look a bit cheap or naff or wrong or you know, but it, it can really sort of take you out. And but this is the ice here's had a great sort of solid tone throughout, um, and it, like the sets were fantastic, like the hospital as well, you know where mm. the guy works, it just looks, um, it looked like a hospital, but there has that edge. Everything in this has like a bit of an edge to it that, um. Is, is really cool yeah this does kind of get me into you know if i have it's not exactly a complaint but if i have one sort of observation is i always have this kind of voice in the back of my head saying is this science fiction 
Mm. You know, like, is this sci-fi enough? You know, and obviously, like, we did the 50s block. Like, the Tingler is closer to horror than it is yeah. sci-fi. Um, but it's technically sci-fi, right? Mm. It meets the requirement. Eyes Without a Face is sci-fi, but it's really sci-fi because it's got face facial transplant in 1960, you know? Yeah. Um, which is which is cool, but I mean, there are these discussions of like, like I've had passionate discussions online about like, is Doctor Strangelove sci-fi? Like, it's in an alt parallel timeline, you know? Like, mm-hmm. well, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's sci-fi, but I mean, there are these these arguments, and I think the Fountain, you know, plays into that too. Where um, it's fun that we're sort of branching out and, and touching on these little eddies of sci-fi history. Uh, yeah, I think you know. Maybe not fair. We've talked about it, but this idea that, that you do you have like a a pool, haven't you? And at the very centre of the pool is that sort of like those sort of films or or literature or content that is pure science fiction. You know, science fiction in, in its truest form, and that sort of like you know, that's where you find like Asimov and and um, you know those kinds of sort of like Clark and cl- yeah, yeah, that's Obama. it. You, yeah, those real sort of like you know. Where they're sort of like they're taking ideas and really sort of like extending them using these sci-fi concepts, and then as you get out from that, you start to sort of like, you know um, that's when you get to sort of the Hollywoodization and things, and then eventually you get to the edges where you do in this. Oh, there's art and stuff throughout all this, but then you get to the edges where, like you say, you get things like Eyes Without a Face or The Fountain and stuff, and it's a bit more. Is it? It has a sci-fi elements, so it has a sci-fi concept. But then there's, like you say, there's leanings into horror or comedy or or um, drama or thriller or whatever. Um, but yeah, this feels for 1960. This is definitely sort of like a medical science fiction, isn't it? This is yeah, it, it is. But it uses it for those sorts of uh, gothic trappings as well, which again, like you say, the stylings and even the concept. This sort, you know. Uh, a formerly beautiful woman trapped in a castle who's sort of hidden behind a mask. Um, yeah, and, and I really dig that. And I mean, you and I, we also like smaller stories, right? Mm. I mean, I, I think so many of the best like Star Trek episodes are just an implication of the teleporter. And, you know, yeah. Um, I mean, there's the, the famous Picard's flute episode, you know, where it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's all in a sort of simulation, but it's really just about living an alternate life. And that's great. And it's such a fantastic episode. Doesn't need any spaceships, does it? You know, <laughs> but but that's clearly science fiction. Yeah. And then you have those overlaps where obviously the best example is like alien, where you know, you get this infusion of science fiction from another genre. Mm. And this feels like, you know, like you said, sort of gothic and, you know, uh moody, uh, you know, Frenchy. 1960s almost like it's got some sort of like almost french new wave moments uh in it as just sort of watching the uh the people and, and people who don't fit into society well one of the things i would say before we sort of come to the score is, is, is to that point is this is one of those films that if you were to really do some sort of you know uh ancestry.com kind of thing for films if you were to take sort of like you know for especially french cinema or science fiction cinema or like you know um, you would track, you know, if you track back through that parentage and through those influences, I can imagine this cropping up on mm. quite a few where like there's directors that are like, oh no, no, yeah, that was a real influence on me, you know, from like say from the style to the idea to you know, oh, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we talked about that in the episode of just sort of mm. like 
it, it, it's one of these movies that sort of nobody sees, but once you see it, you're like, oh, that's where all that shit came yeah. from. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's one of the, you know, it's, it's just that thing, and that, again, the, the cliche to say it of like, when you watch an older thing and you go, oh, it's loaded with cliches. Well, no, no, no. That's where the cliches came from. Right. And everyone's copied since. And that's that sort of becomes a bit of a problem. Uh, we said the same with John Carter, you know, that sort of thing. Mm. You go back and you go, oh, yeah, but this is just the same as. And you go, well, no, no, that is the same as this. Let's be clear. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and Car- John Carter has been incredibly influential. In that, and that was part of the problem of that movie was, mm-hmm. you know, it, it came out at the point where people are like, yeah, this is all cliches. Well, yeah. You know. <laughs> let's have this discussion about influences, shall we? Um, okay, so let's talk about um, scores. So, if you, you want to go start? first, uh, yeah, okay, I'll go first. Uh, have to go first. So, um, I gave it a seven point five. Oh, I gave She's... it a seven. Okay. Yeah. So very yeah. close. Yeah, so so why did you go 0.5? It, it nudged up because it was so different to things I'd see, other things I'd seen. I think that that's going to sort of there's a similar motif for the next one as well. But mm-hmm. it's one of those it stuck with me visually, like you know, um, the plot's very, the plot itself is very simple, like you know, and, and but it was the sort of the there were certain moments um, visually, like the, the operation, um, the fact that the police conducting the interview, the investigation, get like don't basically their result is not what you're expecting you know sort of like get gets sort of um that gets turned around and also just the ending like of her just wandering off it's not it's not that resolution this film doesn't give you those resolutions that you're expecting and it's sort of it sat with me for quite a long time because of that so i sort of i knocked you up into that thing of like yeah this is actually something that's really interesting so uh it was just those little things really yeah i agree with all of that i think that when I look back on it, I think I love this movie. It's an awesome movie. I, I like, uh, you know, virtually every shot and every decision the movie makes. Having said that, I don't know what it adds up to. Um, mm. You know, it sort of feels like this is this is a great movie, but you know, it, what does it really have to say? It, it doesn't wear its sort of like Frankenstein um, point of like, don't meddle with nature, don't go too far. Mm-hmm. You know? It doesn't wear that on. So you don't leave this movie thinking like, right, well, we should never transplant faces. You know, yeah. like that's not, you know, important. Um, but it is a sort of stylish manifesto. Um, yeah. And I think one of the things that's interesting to sort of say to start with this and to end with the fountain, one of the things we talked about quite heavily, the fountain was this idea of poetry, visual poetry. And it, watching that, watching the fountain made me think of Eyes Without a Face. And again, I said I mentioned like in Man Without, uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth. Um, this idea of these films, not you know, the plot is one thing. It seems quite thin, really, for Eyes Without a Face. But there's a visual language with this film that sort of, you know, that sort of. Maybe it's again. Maybe it comes. This will fall away as my sort of, um, you know, my cinema experience, my my learnings grow and expand because I'm like, you know, wow, well, it doesn't feel like a Michael Bay film. Like, no, it feels like something very, very different. <laughs> and I and I kind of like that. I'm, that I'm experiencing that. So, yeah. Um, it, you're right, it doesn't sort of amount to a great deal but then like, it, I don't think it's supposed to, you mm. know what I mean, it's that thing you can interpret it different ways talking about films that, that may or may not amount to a great deal the next film, The Man Who Fell to Earth um, mm. 
Well, this was, I mean, it, it's interesting that, you know, I also think of what films uh, you chose or I chose or were mutual picks or whatever. And we're always so accommodating and we're both, you mm. know, uh, I mean, we love each other and love doing this and we love sci-fi. So, you know, it's not hard to sell us on something. But, um, you know, I, I chose Eyes Without a Face, so I'm extra happy that you went higher than me. Yeah. <laughs> the Man Who Fell to Earth is is one that you chose, and I just fell in love with it. And I mean, and I remember watching it and thinking that first like 20 minutes or so is sort of like, what the hell am I watching? <laughs> but then you get into it and it has just stuck with me. And even the sort of like trashy, cheap shots of the planet that he's from where all you see is his family and this little like mobile home on a monorail going through the desert and it rocks back and forth like it's it looks cheap mm. but it's all put through a filter so you know it's fine and it conveys the message is also memory presumably so maybe that's you know uh it's distorted through that process um you know the strangeness of it the way that it sticks with me the way that it just goes on and on and on it has like another chapter another chapter and never is it never does it wear it's this is a sci-fi film on its sleeve right it's mm. never i'm an alien and you know instead that's used for these quiet moments of like the horror of his girlfriend and you know things like this and the distortion of of history and the fact that none of it really amounts to anything in terms of transforming the history of Earth, and yet it feels as if something has really happened. Mm. I love it. Yeah, no, I, I am a big fan of this film in a similar way to the first film. Like it was again, it's a new sort of um, kind of film to watch, and again, it's one of those films that sort of doesn't meet no it doesn't meet you it sort of it says oh no no, no we are going to be this and you've got to come along um and it then like, this upon itself <laughs> yeah it, it, it very much does uh, and when you think you sort of literally when you, just when you think you're getting a handle of what this film is or is supposed to be it'll be like oh i'm over here now and you're just like oh shit i better keep up like there's something or, or at least i or i can't keep up and you have to rewind and go like right there was a shift there and i'm not sure what that is like is there a time scale on this or <clears throat> which as we said in the film like, there's clearly a time scale to this film mm -hmm. and it's not well defined you have to sort of be really watch for how characters change and the things that are going on but I, I, it, it's so it's just become ingrained in you uh, and again, for those like weirdly like intimate moments of um, you know with Bowie's alien when he does present himself to his girlfriend and she's horrified. Like that reaction that she has is is brilliant. But also when they go they do go to um, sleep together, they go to make love, and he his reference point is to exude this goo, and she <laughs> yeah. sort of feels it, and she's just like what is this and it goes you know because she tried to break that barrier and then it, she's like re repulsed again um and all those sort of things and then the whole thing at the end where he's sort of a prisoner but he's not a prisoner because he's able to walk out at the end and what does it mean and and the fact that at the end of this much like with with eyes without a face like you get to the end and you're like oh 
yeah, this didn't really get resolved. Like he didn't save his family. Like you said, he hasn't he hasn't sort of come and become this sort of messiah for the earth. Like it hasn't really worked. Like you know, mm-hmm. um, the earth has like being in, on earth has sort of beaten him. Like he's become an alcoholic. You know, it starts with him drinking um, water from a river that is pure thing, and then it ends with him drinking like a martini out of a glass in some shitty bar, and you're just like. yeah this film has got so much going on Uh, but then like you say it's another one where you sort of think is it too much yeah they lay on too much weirdness I mean you've talked a lot about how it's got that sort of uh, flashback yeah to you know what what is it that he's seeing Um, some pilgrims in a field some pilgrims and it's like okay is this a power that he has you know, is he actually there? Is he seeing it? It doesn't matter. And I think that there are, if there is a problem with this film, it's that kind of thing. It's like, yes. you know, like you, you have to do a lot of work to figure out or try to make sense of certain things that you're presented with. Um, another example is that obviously they have space flight technology. He is captured and there's a sort of corporate coup before mm. that's able to happen but this is you know in the press there's crowds what happened with that how did that change yeah. earth technology i mean you know that's not really important why was he like the guards aren't guarding him anymore when he escapes what happened there you kind of have to make sense of these moments i would just say that you know i think that's a downside of this but mm. they feel right. And I think that mm. there's virtually no scene. I love the ending and I'll come back to that. But, I, you know, there's virtually no scene, including like when he has sex with her again and they use the gun and it's like, you know, it's of bizarre. Course, yeah. And, yeah. But but it feels right. And I, and I love this idea of like, you know, yeah, of course, an alien is not going to select a sexual partner based on the things that we would. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, Um it's just like, right, I'm aloof and, you know, you're yeah. good enough and let's, but then sort of has feelings for her. So, I mean, there's so much that I really love about this and even the stuff that bothers me or that I have to do more work than I should or I'm not sure that they really had an answer for still mm. makes amazing scenes that feel right, despite the fact that I'm not sure they are. Yeah. No, I know what you're saying. I agree that they feel right. But you also make a really good point of they don't have answers for. They present you with things that like, they clearly don't have an answer for. And that, that does bug me. And that sort of brought down the score a bit because I do go back and I'm like, that thing with the, it, it's this thing of like, you know, if you're going to present me something I need, I don't always need a payoff, but I need at least some reason for it to be there. And that thing with the pilgrims is like, I don't know what this was for. Like, it doesn't seem to pay off in any way. Like, you know, because you see it from both perspectives. Like you see him seeing them, and they see the car, and you're like, okay, wow. So there's something going on here. Nope, doesn't matter. Never sort of comes up again. Is completely irrelevant. It's clearly a message for something, but I don't get it. And again, that last sort of ten minutes, or maybe it's more than that, ten fifteen minutes, where he's in that that room, and then he finds out he's free to go and stuff. There's parts of that that are great. Like say when she comes in, and they they have that sort of reconnection, and it's really again, it's really bizarre. But then you're still like, well. What's what's going on? Like I don't understand how this all sort of comes together. Um, and so there's sort of the lack of resolution 
for some of the story threads to sort of does bother me. But it's what it's what sort of intrigues me as well. You know, sort of makes you go back and go, what's important and what isn't. There's the other couple when his partner and, and his other, well, he's literally his business partner and that, the woman he says, and they become a couple. And so you're like, okay, well, that's what makes sense because they've had this, they've had this similar life experience, and that's what they're connecting over. And then, then there's that thing of like, it, that, that's it, it just keeps going. You're like, okay, we're going to get some of this. And then you get like, it, it's sort of, I don't know, it's, it's good, but like, and I love some of this film. I absolutely adore some of this film. But there's still this element where I'm like, it's there's something chipping away at me a little bit. Yeah, I think. For me, it's the, the the idea that, yes, it goes on, but some of it can feel a little random. It can mm. feel like, I mean, this is going to sound unnecessarily condemnatory, but sort of like, you know, adolescent writing where it's mm. like, right, and why have you made those choices? I don't know. You know, they just, it's like, okay, that would seem to suggest this. Um yeah, and like that hasn't been thought of. I mean, there is something of that. That that's yes. There's definitely some of that going on, and I agree with that. Adolescent writing seems to be the thing of like I had this cool idea because I saw something out of the window. Yeah, you know, great. How is that going to translate into a story element? Oh, it's not. It's just I saw <laughs> this cool bit. And again, again, I get that there's like a visual poetry to this film. This is another one where it's like this film is telling you things through the visuals. You know, sort of. Um, um, there's there's weird scenes that you know when again flashing back to his home world and then sort of like the gradual realization that they're dead and, and this other thing it, all that is again you know like you said, you said it it sort of looks cheap but like mm. it works that all that sort of stuff works for me because especially as it gets gradually worse for them um and how like is that in his head is that his sort of expectation is that what he's his fear like all that's really good but there's other elements that I'm just like, you know, you're just tainting this that little bit. But uh, yeah, uh, I still, agree. Still a bit of film. I want to say about the ending, I am so sick of Hollywood endings. I mean, sometimes it works and, and I'm not against it. Uh, obviously, I'm used to it. I love, you know, success story. But, you know, um, I'm so sick of situations in which, like, characters here um you know right nobody's escaped from this trap before yeah but you're the protagonist and we've written the story about mm -hmm. you so obviously you're gonna be the one to escape and it's gonna be relatively simple where you're like why didn't anyone else do this um this sense of like this alien civilization needing you know resources and and sending people out and understanding the odds of success are very slight. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, he's not the exception. Um, and it's really sad, but it doesn't play the violins and, you know, hold your hold a, a close up on the, the wife's face or something. It's the violins swell. No, he's just drunk and, you know, and, and seems resigned to the fact that, yeah, I, I wasn't the exception, you know. Yeah. And I do like that ending when he meets him in that, that bar and there is that resignation of like, no, I failed and there's no, there's nothing more I can do. And it leave, it does leave ambiguity because you said like, you know, I took it, like, I can't remember if he looks up or looks down at him, but like that, that, that final shot, like you can take it, he died. Mm. You know, that you can read it in that way or you can read it as just sort of like, 
this is it now. That moment is just him resigned to being here for as long as it takes. Um, but it ends on a down note. Let's not be. Let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> well, I'll, so I'll go first with the rating. Mm. Uh, I think this is going to shock you. Uh, I gave it a nine. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, you know, I think this is sublime. It has flaws. It is not a perfect movie. It's definitely not a ten. Um, but. Uh, I think it's sublime. I think even if its mistakes are fascinating and 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 it manages to it has that that rare quality that I think nines have for me of it seems to transcend its problems. Mm. It feels like it's about more and more and imbued with meaning even in its mistakes. Yeah, no, I can see what you mean like it all makes a whole. I actually give it a seven point five for. The same thing like this is going into really good like this is this is that territory of like this is a really good film but like it is for me like you said, it says something but it's that ability for repeat viewing you know like mm. um could i sit down and re-watch this yeah i will i know i will not for some time and so it doesn't have that re like, it doesn't re-invite me to go back at times like some of these other films will um but it's still really good. I think it's a really strong film. It's just, like I say, there was just certain things where I'm like, as I reflect on it and you go back on it, and as I responded to it then, I was like, mm, it has issues. Um, but there's moments I love in this film. Absolutely, like I said, stick with you. Oh, I agree with that. Um, I think the only film that I've previously given a nine to is Forbidden Planet. Mm. And that and this are both reference points for me. Uh, they're both things that i will think of i will want other movies to be as interesting and good as i you know marvel at those films um i do think that if i watched this again and again it would tend to go down and those things mm. that we that we're talking about that our flaws would become more well, annoying to me yeah you know <clears throat> but i agree i definitely can see why this is so appealing um and it's we've the thing is we opened up the season now with two films where you know I would definitely recommend this sort of like if you haven't seen these films and you like science fiction films like you know try these films out like you you may hate them but they are worth the experience I think that's sort of the point. I'm into that. Well, the next uh, one is very different. Star Trek: The Motion Picture. This is the V'ger. This is yeah. the slow. Um, <laughs> One, I mean, of all the Star Trek movies of the original cast, this is the one that feels most like an episode. And it yes. feels like a 70s reinterpretation of the thoughtfulness of the original show, of the best episodes of the original show that take an idea and tease it out. And this is going to do that same thing, but, you know, take its time you know, be infused with that sort of uh, 70s motion picture science fiction aesthetic and pacing. Um, And I I love this. I I think it works. Yeah, I do. I think it's a good film. You say about the pacing and stuff. And again, I I think it's good. It's one of those that you do when you watch it. There were still moments where you're like, this doesn't need to be as long or get to the point. Um, And so... the the ship porn at the beginning um of scotty and and um 
Kirk flying around the Enterprise, and you're sort of looking at your watch and go, I get why they did it in the day because of a special effects point of view, it's the returning to the ship, but you're still a bit like, Yeah, we get it, it's the Enterprise, I get it, Come, like, let's crack on with this. Um, see, I, I totally disagree with you, I love yeah. the length of that sequence. I mean, I could, I wouldn't mind if it were shorter, but I don't mind the length it is, and it has that ability of long sequences whether it's in like 2001 or interstellar where i get past my frustration because i am the most <laughs> impatient guy in the world i get past my frustration but and my brain goes to a different place instead of just getting angry and saying like oh my god get on with it my brain goes to oh that's interesting you know and i lose myself in the the visual poetry of like they love the Enterprise. And don't I love the Enterprise? And yeah. It's a, a love poem to the Enterprise. And I feel it so much. It, it, it does. It just was a little gratuitous after so long. I'm just like, all right, all right, let's move on. However, this film, other parts of this film, like, and they said this, there are other parts, there are parts of this film that are slow and protracted and, and you go, okay, speed this up. And there's other bits when you're like, that feels incredibly crammed together. Mm. Um, and like you know the, the but then it has other moments that I think are fantastic like the just the the moments I often think about are there's the um, transporter um, there's issue when they have the, the you know the fatality in the in the, in the uh, transporter which I really no I sense I'd say I love that but I find that fascinating that they're actually introducing that that, that you know that's an issue um, there's later on sort of the meeting you know the reintroduction of of Spock. Um, with McCoy and Kirk, and there's that sort of scene in the um, the, the quarters, which I really like. Um, yet, there's also the relationship between well, yeah, knack of the characters now, um, the captain, and, and Decker. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, when you're sort of like, this feels like this needs to be explored mm. quite a lot more in order for the end to have the weight that it, they think it has or it should have. And so I think that lets it down when you get to the sort of the third act and you have this sort of, and I like the ending and the fact it's not a big boom, boom, punchy, punchy kind of ending. I, I appreciate that, but they try to give it some weight, some sort of like, you know, this metaphysical idea, but you haven't got the drama or the sort of the, the time spent with the characters behind it for it to have the weight that they clearly want it to have. Um, and I think that sort of lets it down quite heavily. Yeah, I agree completely. And I think that the epitome for me of the uh, time waste is the uh, whole wormhole sequence yes. of, you know, like, uh, we, how many times have we seen the Enterprise leaving the solar system or other <laughs> ships? This is something that it's it strikes me that sequence was put in there Maybe it was a special to get some special effects and, and have some drama because it's a slow script. But it seems to me that that was probably something I I mean, the scripts are available for the original two episode um, in thy image. And I haven't read them, but that strikes me as something that could have been added in order to help pad it out. Yeah. And yet it's totally un unnecessary and slows down the story. And as you say, I mean, like Decker is a fascinating character. There should be more with that. Spock, there she'd be more with him, sort of having mm. gone through Colin R. Uh, Ilya is a fascinating character. I want to, you know, today there would be an HBO Max or Paramount Plus yes. Ilya series. Like, I want that. Uh, th that would be fantastic. Uh, so I think you're right that there there are these things that are included that feel 
unnecessary or even strange, a strange choice to focus yeah. on. And then other things that are obvious choices that would really enhance the film and be fascinating and, and, and sort of can't miss uh, scenes that they just ignore. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, <clears throat> there's other scenes as well, like later on when, when they enter Fiji um with the with the enterprise and you're like oh the model work on this is amazing it tells you the scope of how big this thing is and yet i'm still going like and maybe this is this is a real patronization but like sophistication of audiences maybe you know this is sort of 40 years on we're like oh we get this i don't need this level of information to tell me how vast this thing is because it keeps going because i'm like this is time you could have spent with other characters giving us information or giving us that relationship that would have been a lot more interesting um and and so yeah it does that's that's the problem with it it's sort of it's 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 the length of time it takes for the the pacing isn't a problem because mm. it you know i don't mind it being slow i don't mind it being sort of like talking and all that kind of stuff as long as that sort of pays off the talking pays off and gives us some more mm. um and i do i think they sort of center on some of the wrong bits yeah, it's it's sort of the less the pacing and more the choices. Yes. Um, and some of those choices are great. I like those that slow sequence of going into V'ger. I mean, I might make some modifications with current mm. CGI, but it, it did occur to me that, you know, you, you brought up in discussing it that we never get the exterior shots of mm. V'ger. And, and we really don't have, for all of those ponderous long scenes, we really don't have a, a good sense of place um and and how the you know like what does this look like over the earth it's so yeah. enormous these are no brainers that really would would help that sense of drama um and you pointed out that there's a threat to earth in this it doesn't feel like it oh so that was what i was going to say my next point was going to be the stakes as you say about the vast sort of size of this thing because they talk about it sort of like entering the solar system and it's so huge it's sort of like you know it's shadowing jupiter or whatever like, oh, okay this thing is absolutely gargantuan like this thing is you know a real presence okay well something that big is going to start having an impact on like gravity and weather systems and all this other stuff it's going to start messing things up and it does it says it's got like a da- countdown because it's trying to get to earth to get to the creator and you never go back to earth to see this tension of like we are relying on the enterprise to stop this thing it's destroying the earth or oh, this thing is you know oh, okay like this is and, and where's michael bay when you need him he would give right, us yeah. a shot looking up at the sky and you see cybertron and i want to see it makes no sense but i feel a sense of stake <laughs> I want to see meteorites coming crashing down in Paris to show me, to tell me how dangerous this is. If I don't have that, I don't understand it. <laughs> I want to see the smashing through satellites and the international space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But something, you know, maybe not a Bay-esque sort of presentation, but something that just says, oh no, people on Earth are worried. Like this is, yeah. you know, um, and there's cliches, you know, like we've lost contact with the Enterprise or something, I don't know, but like the stakes of you completely forget by the end of this film that oh yeah shit the earth's at stake like and then you get to the end and they're like we've we've witnessed the uh creation of a new species and you go wow that's fascinating is it is it going to stop trying to kill earth (laughs) yeah there are billions of people down below who are like right are we safe now yeah but I think that for a movie, it wouldn't take that much to give this a sense of stakes and give this, you know, a little bit more of that Hollywood blockbuster, you know, feel to it. 
without taking away the intellectualism of yes. this film. And this film is, I think, hated and loved as this sort of like slow intellectual exercise. It's about things, you know, which sometimes the Star Trek movies are criticized for, for failing to be. Mm -hmm. But, you know, just and it's not just make it a little more Hollywood. It's tell the story that you have already told about a threat to Earth better. And, and I yeah. think made that point well. Um, so what was your rating? So my score was 6.5. Exactly what I, I have. Yeah, because I do like this film and I will go back and watch it. But I recognize that. It's not it's not the best Star Trek film and we will cover more track. Don't worry, we will get to some of those and there are worse tracks because um, oh, yeah. yeah, Shatner got to go behind the screens. And <laughs> <laughs> um, what about you? So you get the 6.5 as well, you say? Yeah, for me, that's the perfect rating. Um, you know, I could see a seven, but seven is being a little generous. Um, mm -hmm. You know, this is definitely above average. People rate it too low, but it does have those flaws. It, yeah, definitely. Right. So <clears throat> going from Star Trek uh, to Bookaroo Bonsai. Um, and I think we're going to be quite far as we were on the episode on this on the scoring. So what what are your thoughts then going back and reflecting on this? This has not improved in my memory. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like it when we reviewed it. And I and I mean, mm. I love your arguments. I love, you know, there's a version of this movie that would work for me. This is not that version. Mm. Uh Weller is just the wrong person for it to begin with. Um, you know, I mean, it doesn't, it's a better script than, um, you know, like Earth Girls Are Easy or something, but it doesn't have, it doesn't flow and have the, I mean, this is an inferior movie to Earth Girls Are Easy to me. <laughs> Both starring uh, with Jeff Goldblum, just to say, but yeah. Uh, no, I, I know what you're saying. And this is one of those weird ones, I think, where like, I acknowledge its flaws, but like this, I have so much weird fun with this film. Um, and it's one of those films that I sort of go back to that I'm like, th th this is one of those ones where, like, w weirdly, there are things that, like, when they add in too many ideas, I sort of either jump off or I jump in. And for some reason, with this, I jump in that I'm like, yeah, no, I completely accept. This guy is a surgeon, rock star, uh, <laughs> adventurer. <laughs> um, Who's and... beloved and respected by the world. <laughs> the yeah, president yeah, calls yeah. him for advice. Who has comics written about him already. Has, um, yeah, the um, Hong Kong Cavaliers is his backing group. And he also has like a whole bunch of sort of like the irregulars. It's like all these cliches of the pulp era and i'm like yeah no i'm in on all of it and it's got this astro <clears throat> this intergalactic thing like you know and you've got um john lithgow you know who appears to be in a different film to um <laughs> peter weller um they're completely yeah, they're, they're in a completely different film one's in a mel brooks film one's not um <clears throat> and there are times when it works and times when it doesn't but i i, I do I, I get something from this film. I, like you say, it's that thing of like swinging a miss. Like I'm like, yeah, you tried for something insanely weird and it didn't quite work, but <clears throat> I do enjoy it. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are two things here and we've talked about movies, you know, uh, so many movies on the podcast and then other movies, you know, off, off camera where, 
you know, so occasionally, usually we agree about what works. Occasionally, mm. you know, something works for one of us and doesn't for the other. Um, and for me, none of this works or it almost never works. And it just doesn't have that charm. Um, the, the thing you said about like fun is, you know, in talking about our ratings and, you know, we have talked about this before um, off camera, like how do you accommodate for the fact that it's fun? Um, mm. You know, I think, you know, you can poke a million holes in the plot of and, and even what's shown and what's not of Back to the Future, but everything works. And I yes. think that's pretty universally acknowledged. Everything works. Um, that is so much fun. You know, you can poke holes in it, but it's really hard to not forgive those holes because it's just working and it's so much fun. And I feel very comfortable rating that a little higher than I think I maybe should because it's just fun and, <clears throat> and it's working. But there are movies that I love that I think, all right, how do I accommodate for the fact that yeah. I I find it so much fun? I mean, Transformers, the movie is just so much fun for me, but I know it's it's got its flaws. How do I flub that score a little, but not too much? It's it's funny. I was I was literally thinking about this today, and there was a couple of films I sort of put on Twitter. It's like four films I know aren't good, but I unashamedly enjoy. Um, and there was other ones like, you know, like uh, Max Payne, Howard the Duck, uh, Police Academy, and uh, Equilibrium as well. And I'm like, oh, I know these films aren't great. I know. I watch these films. And I'm like, oh, I know that, but that doesn't work, or like that's silly. But like, there's something about this film that I really dig. I think Buckaroo Banzai comes into that where I sit and like there's moments I'm like, oh yeah, this bit doesn't work. Like this, this bit makes very little sense. Or, you know, and I accept like Peter Weller isn't probably the best casting, you know, sort of like should, there was someone definitely better for the role. <clears throat> someone more charming and probably a bit more less serious. I think, you know, um, but there's still something about this that sort of just seems to sort of that, that pulls me in and you know encourages me to to rewatch it so well and apparently weller was the same way on the set of robocop that yeah. he was yeah. you know i mean he <laughs> he has this guru you know um i i knew somebody who 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 knew him in the context of being a professor and apparently he had a guru then you know um yeah i mean it's a to me it's a bad sign if i could imagine a a dramatic character or a dramatic actor being replaced by Adam Sandler, and I think Adam <laughs> Sandler might have done a better job. Yeah, in the eighties, I often think like, who would it be? Like, who would have been that eighties sort of? Um, and I think of like SNL cast. You know, like mm. I think I can see there's someone picking someone up there. Chevy Chase probably would have been a good replacement. Yeah, um, sort of classic know. Fletch. Like exactly. I like the Fletch movies. Do Fletch with sci-fi? I'd yeah. love to have seen that. And that's what sort of struck me is like you know they, 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 if they'd have gone with that and they had the money and the clout to get do that I think this would have been a, a much more interesting film. Um, and there is a better like it's this is scraping at being a good film for me like a really good film. But I can understand why. So let, let's go to the scores and go on. Let's, let's get past this. Okay, well, you you won't be you won't be happy with this. I, <laughs> I gave this a four point five. Um, so, and this was one where uh, I sort of, you know, in going back, I originally had it at a five and I thought, yeah, I've given a five to movies that I thought were a bit, lot better than this. <laughs> I can't. So in good conscience, I, I brought it down a point. 
Uh, what, did, what did you give it? Uh, I also gave this a 6.5. Um, because it's one of those, I'll say, I know... And I was, again, balancing that fun and that sort of element. And again, balancing and looking at and going... I gave the man the man who fell to earth seven point five, and that's like a you know there are bits that are like that are legit art. There's very little I can say is legit art in Bokaru Banzai. So uh, yeah, six point five sort of felt like a fair sort of score. Yeah, um, I, I could I could deal with that, and a lot of it is sort of like what works for somebody and doesn't work for somebody. I I love Hudson Hawk, and Hudson oh, Hawk yeah. is like my version of this, where it's yeah. like. There's shit that doesn't work in there, and there's shit that's embarrassing. <laughs> I still love that movie, and the stuff that's embarrassing, I'm like, yeah, that's really embarrassing, but it's the kind of works for me. <laughs> that's that is actually a really good comparison because that's another film that tr- throws so many ideas at the screen, and you've got people, you know, like you got, like I say, you got Bruce Willis sort of to be trying to be Bruce, and then you've got Richard E. Grant coming mm-hmm. in doing something completely different, and you're like. Okay, I'm not sure what this is. I do like that film, though. That is a good film. Okay, uh, next one. So I'm going to put a bit of a caveat on this next one because my score is for, for something specific. So we're going to talk about Little Shop of Horrors. And my score is for the director's cut. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I was going to say the same thing. And you, again, credit where credit's due, my friend. You alerted me to the alternate ending. Um <laughs> And I think the with the original ending, it is, it, it to my mind, it's at least a one point five. It is a one point five lower than where it is right now. Yeah, I, I, I'd actually, I'd say a one, maybe one, maybe not one point five, but well, maybe around that one to one point five. Yes, the, the, yeah, the, this alternate ending, this alternate cut, um, elevates this film to something so much better. Yes. And it makes so much come together that yes. is, you know, there's so much in this that is interesting and it, it kind of works. There, there are stronger numbers and there are weaker numbers and there, the performances are good. But, I mean, there's so much that's sort of teased and, and threads in this that never wind up coming together in the <laughs> original version. And that the with that saccharine ending. And just there's something about, I mean, every second of that ending, you know, with Don't Feed the Plants. Um I am such such a sucker for audiovisual content. I think all mm. movies. I would I would love all movies to feel like, you know. I mean, to to feel like uh, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, like a, a, an audiovisual feast. Yes. Uh, and that ending where, you know, puppetry is being uh mine is being synchronized to the beats of the music, where the music swells and you're watching something that blows your mind. And my mind, just all the neurons are firing and I am in my happy place and delighted with the intellectual content, too. Yeah, no, no, you're right. I mean, the thing is, like you say, one of the things that sort of we we said this in the episode that has always sort of like played out from when I used to watch this as a kid. Because, you know, I didn't see the alternate version until relatively recently when it was finally released and cut all spliced in back together. Was like you watch that film as a kid and you go, oh, yeah, no, I love the music and I love Audrey, too. And you sort of just sort of ignore the ending because <laughs> you just go, oh, OK, well, he won. <laughs> Him and Audrey go off and then you have the little plant in the garden that sort of says, here's, you know, the little nod of like, you know, um, uh, it may not be, you know, all is all green or whatever. And then you watch the director's cut and you sort of go, oh, this is what they wanted. Like, I can see why the studio sort of showed this and were like, 
oh no, like 80s audiences aren't ready for this. Like, oh no. <laughs> Having said that, we've literally just talked about um, two of the films with downbeat endings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, that's what they had. And I think this is in that thing. It's not a downbeat ending. It's, it's a great catastrophe ending. Because, like, you know, it's... But um, the other thing I like in this version is the way that Audrey 2 is released. Um, in the um, in the original, in the theatrical cut, James Belushi turns up, doesn't he? He's sort of like, I want to buy, I want to buy, you know, sort of thing. <clears throat> and they sort of, that's when he proposes the idea of Audrey 2 being in every house in America. In this version, um, he we, we see, firstly, you see sort of um, Rick Moranis gives up uh, Audrey to the plant and then he finds out that, that like a cutting of Audrey's already been taken been stolen and the plans are already in place like right and they're like yeah we'd like your permission but we're perfectly willing to take you to court <laughs> if you want to fight and it's like yeah. that sounds like the corporate America that we know right yeah and it fit, <laughs> as you said it fits in with the satire and everything that you've already seen in the film like you say everything just comes together in a much more cohesive way as and tonally um like that ending works and it also fits in with this idea that <clears throat> um what's his what's the character rick moranis's character um seymour seymour um you you realize that seymour's not a great guy like you realize that like you know in in the theatrical version they clearly wanted this sort of like you know like you know and they lived happily ever after but like you've seen the film, and you're like, as we sort of said, like, well, he's, he's a bit of a creep. Like, you know, he's he's a, he's a bit lecherous. He's a bit of a creep. Like, no, we've got to understand that. Like, you know, he's he gives up. He's you no, know, she dies, but he still gives up the body of his, his this woman he loves to Audrey too. Like, it's all um, he's not great. The other thing, the other thing about that is that that original ending was so ahead of its time. I was going to say like it it veers into a disaster movie. And you know, like changes the genre completely, <laughs> and and but in the most like obvious way, where in retrospect you say, "Oh, right, right, of course this was going to happen." Um, but we're recording this, uh, this is being released at the beginning of 2022, and we are in an era in which I think we are better equipped to see these nice guy white uh, male cis heroes as more problematic you know mm. that they um you know i mean the next movie we're going to talk about is demolition man so yeah. you know that you know i mean that sort of behavior of just not caring about other people and being creepy you know lying to manipulating the girl has she you know even really consented if she's had you know all of these secrets kept from her mm. i mean you know, those are things that we can talk about now. In, in 1986, it was like, that's Rick Moranis. <laughs> you know, he's a good guy, damn it. You know, he's a, yeah. he's the kind of good hero who he wouldn't beat his woman, you know. And now it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. But he's the creepy guy who thinks he's entitled to the girl or, you know. He's going to be the hero, his... nice, the one that moans or nice guys finish last. That's sort right. of thing. Yeah, yeah. I think that's exactly right. Yeah. And also, obviously, that you know, it's made the 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 film sort of challenges that because then it sort of juxtaposes him against uh, Steve Martin's dentist, who is phenomenal. Like I love him in this, and his sort of his song is one of my favourites. I listen to it a lot. Um, 
but like you say, it makes it, it makes it slightly worse because you then go, well, of course he's the good guy, and like, mm. but the film is still telling you, well, yeah, he didn't he didn't kill, um, you know, uh, the dentist, you know, like that was he, but he was going to, mm. right? He's willing uh, to. He was willing to, and the same with um, Mr. Mushnick. Like you know, he dies, and you sort of like, well, he covers that up. He's still like you know, he's still party to this, you know. Um, and so he's not all all good. Like you know, it's one of those that's sort of saying like you know, well, I was just following orders, or I was just sort of you know, I was the witness. So it's 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 an interesting one, but it's it's still a phenomenal film because of that. Well, and I think that those points, while I would like seem more to be a, a, a little more like the play, a little more aggressive, a little more guilty just to, you know, mm-hmm. keep the audience from from romanticizing him. Those things actually, in retrospect, do show this sort of complicity, that sort of nice guy, like rationalization, like, hey, I'm not that bad. I don't hit women, you know, like, right. But, you know, yeah. you're still a creep, you know. Um, the thing you said about satire that with that ending, you know, yes, it's it's corporate, but so much of, I mean, uh, again, I think that ending has only aged well, and, and it's not the new ending, and it's not um, the director's cut, and it's not that it's just post Me Too, it's also post-income disparity, and mm-hmm. recognizing, you know, there's the down on Skid Row, and these, yeah. these the, the black uh, Greek chorus, and, you know, in retrospect, right? Of course the deck is stacked against you. You're not, you know, you want that fame, but it comes at a terrible price. You're not going to get your the girl you loved before you got famous. No, and that, that's the, the world's going to be screwed up. And you're, and you're doing service to, I mean, you're doing service to corporate America and to interests that you don't really believe in in order mm. to get famous, you know. And that's the thing, like, there's that song, where the, the, the song of complicity where Audrey too convinces him, you know, sort of like, uh, when he says, like, you know, do you want this? Do you want that? And eventually he's like, oh, I'd like a Harley machine. You know, I want to sort of be tooling around like I was James Dean. He gets into that idea of like, I could, this is within my reach. Like, all I've got to do, all I've got to do, only just, just this, or only that. And obviously that line of morality keeps creeping. And at that point you're like, oh no, you're, you're off too far gone. Like, you know, this is your, at what point do you become irredeemable because you're chasing fortune and fame at a cost? Because, um, again, it's sort of, you know, it's it's, it's, ne- it's never going to end, is it? That's the point. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I would say not all the songs are great. Um, you know, there are songs that obviously are, you know, uh, incredibly influential somewhere that's green, which, again, mm. only pays off. With the real ending, you know, yeah, yeah, creepy. But uh, you know, this movie does have its flaws. It's not perfect. Um, you know, I mean, the the girl is a is a little ditzy, and you know, the I mean, there are issues here. Having said that, um, you know, it's a strange thing to say, but if you could, of the five minute sequences in all of cinema history. The original director's cut ending to this is among my favorite five minute sequences ever yeah. produced on film, period. And that's saying an awful lot. Yeah. And, and like you say, it's made because if you could just watch that, it's fun. It's it's brilliant. It's it, it works. It's like a music video, the way it works with the song. It's phenomenal. And also the model work that's done in it as well. 
and some of the ideas it's you know it's akin to sort of like mars attacks in the sort of like the craziness like a, a giant audrey to eating a train or uh pulling down buildings and the bridges and all this other stuff it's fun it's absolutely fantastic but in in line with the film it just makes it better um well, and i i i'm such a sucker for endings everybody talks about beginnings endings mm. stick with me a lot more um ending on you could not imagine ending on a higher note than mm. this this five minutes i mean yeah. which i think was part of the problem maybe they might they certainly made the right decision commercially um you know but part of the problem is that it ends on this high note and you're sort of like you're brought to the this moment of climactic ecstasy by the end except everything screwed up and it's like where are the heroes where are those michael bay characters you know where's yeah where's bruce willis and armageddon to stop this you know no um so I, boy what a what an ending yeah and what a film so my score on this one is uh i gave this an 8.5 precisely what i have it as yeah yeah and it is it's high recommend. I think people should definitely go check this one out. Um, okay, this one's going to be an interesting one. Um, so we're jumping into the 90s. We're leaving the 80s behind. Uh, but talking about heroes that would have would have, would have killed Audrey too, um, <laughs> with his bare hands and, and his teeth, uh, Sylvester Stallone in Demolition Man. Well, this is this was one of your choices, and it was inspired mm. by uh, ask polling the the Twitter mm. audience. Uh, so. You know, follow us at Pod Time Space, and you could have a role in selecting. In, in fact, uh, we've already asked people to select a couple films from the uh, from the coming season. We have. Um, yeah. This was one, you know, like Buckaroo Banzai that I. I mean, I had actually seen this or seen part of it, but I didn't remember it. I was surprised by how much I liked it. I was surprised. Mm. It's not a good movie. It's not an <laughs> amazing movie. It's not doesn't have a lot to say, but it actually works pretty well yeah i i think so i think the thing is watching it with a critical eye this time i reevaluated it um in line with the understanding that i've always watched it as just an action film i've just sort of sat there you know switch my brain off right i'm gonna watch stallone kick ass and wesley snipes be the villain and it's gonna be good fun um and then I watched it this time and I'm actually watching it. Like I'm fully engaged with this film. And this was, a, there was a bit of like an eye opening moment. When I'm like, Oh, hang on. <laughs> this film is actually trying to do something. And I've never noticed it before. Like that whole opening scene is the sort of the over, you know, um, like the testosterone is flowing like a bloody tsunami. Like it's, it's just so, so overly macho. And then you get the whole sort of satire throughout the sort of the, uh, the you know, in San Angeles of all the sort of like the mini tunes and the uh, Taco Bell being the only restaurant to survive the restaurant wars. And so like there's so much in this that's almost like Judge Dredd that this, this utopian thing. Uh, and I'm like, oh, that's what it is. And then you sort of, you know, you get into it and I was like, oh, this, this is actually really cool. And then it does, it does then devolve back into an, an action film towards the end. But I started to see this in a new light and I was like, oh, actually, no, I, I, I can appreciate this more. But, well, we'll get into my butts in a minute. But like, yeah, but that, that was where I sort of saw it this time. I, I appreciate it on a different level. Well, I mean, there are, this is clearly that trash movie 
right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is. It's got Dennis Leary, for God's sake. <laughs> you know, like that museum scene where it's like, oh, well, you know, one floor below them. It's, you know, <laughs> there's a lot that just doesn't make sense, you know. But, you know, and, and, it's, and it is that action movie. It doesn't really want to. I mean, this is not... Um, yeah, the man who fell to earth, or as it's not trying to be, it's trying to be a summer blockbuster entertainment, but it is remarkably successful at weaving those themes, mm. including like the fact that you know, I quite like that they don't have sex in person anymore, and and you know, the, the whole corporate thing, and you know, everything is a franchise restaurant now. You know, there's a lot that like that that it is working at that gives it a theme that gives it you know a, a sort of heart or sort of um you know has threads woven through it that make it be better or mm. work more or about something more than just the punchy punchy yes yeah i agree and it, it, it definitely ele it slightly elevated it but in doing so and this was sort of the problem I then had in elevating it and saying, oh, actually, this isn't just fun, punchy, punchy. And it can be watched as just fun, punchy, punchy. And I will just watch it again in that way. However, it then sort of led up to this thing of going, I was watching it and thinking, and we discussed on the show, huh, there's a much better version of this film. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Where they really wanted to do something. If they really dug into this, and we said like John Spartan as a character needed to be, you know, slightly different you know he's a bit too it quickly turned to becoming you know adapt into the future and he needs to have this arc of that needs to either end in his death or you know exiling himself off or something that like he cannot be a part of this this world anymore and i was like i i wish they'd been braver with this film um but i, I don't think that was the mission but yeah uh, and I think that you could do that and still keep the the adrenaline, right? Oh, yeah. Keep the sort of like total recall fun, right? Mm -hmm. It's a delicate balance. Um, but I mean, we have this problem when we discuss movies. Like uh, they say that one thing critics should never do is talk about the movie that they uh, wanted to have seen, right? Yeah. That's imposing. We do that all the time. And not only that, but often our make suggestions for rewrites. And often, you know, especially as, as a writer, I'm humbled by your suggestions, that your <laughs> suggestions are often, um, you know, minimal effort, like the easiest path to maximum change for the better mm. in the script. And this was one of those examples where it's like, oh, yeah, no, you know, yeah. that it, maybe it's, it comes from your experience managing things that, <laughs> like, right, here's what you could do. And it's really quite remarkable. It, it, the thing is, but that's always the disappointment when I watch these films again, cause especially when films you enjoy and you, you say about the choices made, you say about like Buckaroo Bonsai and other things like there are films that we've watched and we've discussed. And you're right. Like, you know, we let's be clear. We're not critics. You know, we don't get paid to be critics. We're just we are just giving our opinions and our opinions usually make films better. And if anyone wants to argue with that, then pfft, that's tough. That's what I think. <laughs> um, but like I say, when you see these things and you do go, you're like, you, you, you're just several degrees away from the right decision um and there's a number but the thing is knowing like you know the way hollywood works and the way films work there's a number of reasons as to why that decision probably wasn't made there's a different there's a whole lot of different agendas on set or visions or whatever but it is frustrating when you do see a film and you're like 
oh man, like if he'd have just made these slight tweaks, you know, at this point, this point, like you would elevate this film, you know, like you were saying with with the Little Shop of Horrors, like the, the difference between that ending, which is quite big, but still a decision was made, is a whole point and a half in re- in in reviewing it. Um, and I think the same with Demolition Man. Like, if you'd have gone through and have had, they'd have had this slightly darker, kept the adrenaline, but gone slightly darker with some of this stuff. You could still keep the sort of some of the humour with oh, yeah. Sandra Bullock and sort of, you know, some of those characters, the future stuff. But like, ended in a slightly darker place. Like, it would elevate this film to be one of those films that would stand out that people would be like, oh my god, yeah, you know, Demolition Man is a real touchstone for dystopian um, science fiction. Yes, and I, I think that, you know, you're right to focus on the ending. And, you know, this ending, you're right that he can't adjust. He's got to, you know, sacrifice himself and say, you know, I come from a time where we did that. I'm going to give you the best version of me mm. and you're going to carry on in your version. The ending that we get, like that kiss works, it should not work, right? Because it's yeah. such a, you know, sort of masculine imposition sort of thing. But, you know, it, it, it somehow has that movie magic for me, at least. But this idea that, you know, the white man who flexes <laughs> his muscles is going to just convince them that they need to change their ways and that they're totally wrong about everything. <laughs> and they, you know, and... It's the conservatism, the sort of like far right neo-Nazi conspiracy conservatism of this movie uh, that is seen in the like complete helplessness of the cops to somebody who does have a gun and is violent. Um, You know, the complete like, well, we didn't know anything, you know, a survival. I mean, I come from a country filled (laughs) with survivalists with AK-47s. It's like this is their fantasy that, you know. The country's just going to say, oh, well, you know, you're right. We need we need you and we're going to change our liberal ways and stop giving kids free lunches. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, There's something creepy about that. And despite that, this is working uh, on a much higher level than I would expect. Yeah. And I I enjoy it for that. I mean, the thing you just said, and I thought about it sort of since there was uh, we may have mentioned it, but like the end of one of the Disney Plus shows, um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier when the Falcon becomes the new Captain America, like he has this speech. And in that speech, he sort of says what he says to these sort of governmental bodies. He's like, you've got to do better. And they're like, well, what, or how? He's like, I don't know. You've just got to do better. Like there is a better way of doing this. But it's, like, it's that acknowledgement of saying like, I can't answer that question for you, but you've got, you're the intelligent, smart people. Like try and be better. And in this film, they're like, they sort of try and do the same thing, but he still, but it sort of misses the point because he's like, You've got to get cleaner. You've got to get your hands dirty. Uh, and you'll meet somewhere in the middle, and then he wanders off. And you're like, hang on, no, no, no. You've just completely torn down this society. You know, and that's where it sort of that's when it sort of it's it, it it doesn't fall apart, but it's sort of the ending sort of like, you know, is sort of like, now I'm just gonna walk away. And you're like, all those criticisms of you being the demolition man mm. are completely true. Like you've just made this massive mess and now you're walking away from it. And it's like, yeah, okay. Uh, but the rest of the film does work and I really enjoy it as as for the different reasons. And also again, we talk about Stallone, but Wesley Snipes is great in this. I, I actually really enjoy Wesley Snipes in this film. Yeah, he at least he, he seems like he's having fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was he got talked into doing it as well. It was gonna be Dennis Rodman at one point. Thank God it wasn't. Wow. Um 
So yeah. Anyway, so what was your score then for demolition? Uh, well, I gave it a six. Uh, that that sounds a little critical, but you know that's this. I looking back, that's the same score I gave Star Wars, Akira, mm. uh, and um, uh, as well, um, you know, uh, uh, Mars Attacks and mm. uh, Minority Report. So you know, I think that's a that's in line. Yeah, I give it a six six point five. Um, because I think I am also quite sort of fond of the sort of like you know, boom boom, punchy punchy as well. So, um, I am too. Well, yeah. I mean, well, you know, we did uh, we did um, Starship Troopers, yes. Um, you know, we like I think you and I like the but I, I like the sort of like for Coven punchy punchy, right? Yes. the sort of like oh, if you're gonna do punchy punchy, do over the top, give me that social commentary, you know. And I feel like there's a model in my head for how to do that, and this is coming in under that if you really wanted to do this and if you were clever enough like, i don't know if you've ever seen cobra which is hmm. um uh, stallone's version of of um like dirty harry uh, which was also the original what his original idea for beverly hills cop but that's a different story hmm. um that that character if you talk talking sort of like you know mario cobretti and made him Demolition Man, where it's really sort of like trying for that moody, gritty kind of thing, like, and then and then took it to that fire extreme. Like, you get that, you get Verhoeven levels of, mm. of satire. Like, that would have worked a lot better. I agree. Right. Okay. So we're going to jump right into the far future of, uh, of 1999. Um, and, oh yes. With, uh, uh, strange days. Yeah, Catherine Bigelow's Strange Days. Um, I I I I really enjoy this film. It's again that one I go back to. It doesn't get talked about enough. Mm. Um, this sort of sent me on a bit of a Catherine Bigelow, um, not not deep dive. I haven't watched everything she's done, but I watched lots, you know about several of her films. Um, obviously Point Break, uh, Blue Steel. Or, you know, I've seen this. I've seen... She's got a really solid ca- back catalogue of films, um, and a really good style. That I really enjoy, and it sort of obviously continues with this film. Yeah, and they're, and they're very different in genre. Obviously, mm. she's not like the the sci-fi director or the action director or the or the whatever. Um, I think that you know we were talking about sort of visual poetry. Um, this is in some ways a tough to watch movie. Mm. It it does not tell you what the point of any scene is, and I keep coming back to this kind of the way in which it's directed. And that it immerses you in this world and in these characters. It never tells you what the point of a scene is. It never tells you what's important. It never tells you, you know, really what to feel or how to take um, what the take the takeaway is. And I think that is confusing to uh, viewers. I think that is not the way we're trained to watch stuff. But it is closer to real life. And I think that she tends to direct that way. Um, you have to kind of realize that and go along for the ride. Um, this was also one of those films where sort of um, 25 minutes in, 20 minutes in, I thought, what the hell am I watching? I don't know who these characters are. I, they're referencing people who I haven't met yet, and I don't can't quite remember the names they referenced, which might be important later. I don't know how this world works, but it's that kind of tapestry effect. And I think it's masterfully done. Um, this is not a perfect movie, but I just think it's masterfully done in, in terms of how it tells the story. I agree. Yes. 
it, it's um, another one though where sort of like it's um, you know several sort of stories woven together. Um, it it works as that sort of um, it, it's it's a gumshoe sort of detective story, isn't it? Without being a gumshoe detective story sort of thing. You know, you have several cases that all of a sudden sort of like come together at the, at the, at the end of the film. And I like how it does that. And it does it, I, I wouldn't quite say with ease, because there is some work involved, but it does it smoothly. Like it fluidly sort of flows through. Um, it does need you to do some work. You're right, because there are ways sort of like the references, especially like Juliette Lewis's character, where like it's clear she's being re- referred to from the off. And you're like, who? No, nope, until you meet her, then you're like, oh, okay. Now I almost need to go back and see those scenes again to understand like what that relationship was and who that was. Um, and no, but I, I do like this film. And again, it's that thing of, of ideas and themes and stuff coming through and sort of being held. And again, like people in this cast are just, I, I would say 90% of the cast is, is well cast is, is the right choice. I think we both sort of said, but like Ray Fiennes is probably the one where I'm like, well, you, you, in retrospect, I'm always like, he feels like the, 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 the weak link in casting, not in performance. Like I think his performance is fine, but I'm like, for what you're supposed to be, I feel like, you know, there's, there's other characters, other actors that would probably may have done better at the time. But I love, you know, Juliet Lewis, Tom Sizemore, um, Angela Bassett is in particular is really good in this. Um, so yeah, I, in, in retrospect, I love, uh, Ralph Fiennes in this and you know in retrospect I feel like he is so much of what I love about this movie and I didn't the first time through I was mm. just you know I mean I'd seen parts of it and, and before I don't know that I, I had certainly not watched it with a, with a critical eye but I love how not leading man he is he is yeah. so unlikable and down and out and swarmy in every shot and every scene and I love that it's not the correct quote unquote commercial choice, but that's part of why I love it. And I think mm. Juliette Lewis, there are scenes where she comes off as maybe not acting well or, or immature, but it works for that character, yes. you know, who's ultimately got problems and is protecting him. Um, in retrospect, I think it's Tom Sizemore and Ju- and the mobster who Juliette Lewis is, is working yeah. with that both seem a little over the top, depending on the scene. Sizemore's good as a cop coming in, yeah. but, you know, at the end, it's... That finale. Yeah. yeah. Whereas I feel that, you know, Fines and, and Lewis are, are what I remember. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I know them. I know the world that they're inhabiting. I feel that universe with those characters. And I don't <laughs> really know what universe the other two are in. No, I can I, I sort of see what you're saying, but, you see, yeah, I'm just going to check the, the guy's name. But the... Um... Um, oh, the master. Yeah, I think the problem I have with Ray Fiennes again is is, is association. Um, because I know him as you know the English gentleman kind of sort of character. Um, it's sort of it's it's a bit weird. Um, but he, he is good. His performance is good. But I'm, I often think like you know mm, you know is this someone that would have been better? Um, the other one though is, is Michael Wincott, who plays the sort of the mob boss, mm-hmm. and, and I agree. I think the thing is he, when you look at the other films he's done uh, around this time, uh, I'm just going to check because he's done a number of things. 
Um, he, he's one of his actors. He's fine. I've seen him in a number of different things. I was going to say, there you go, 97. So he's done like Strange Days, but he'd just done The Crow. Um, mm-hmm. He's the, one of the villains in The Crow, so he's, he's, he's very over the top in. He'd, he'd, he'd um, done The Three Musketeers a few years before, where he was the sort of chief baddie for um, Tim Curry's <laughs> uh, uh, De and then uh, he also went on to do in 97, he went to do Alien Resurrection mm. and he's massively over the top in that so he, he sort of gets picked to do these kinds of things where it's, it's a bit more panto Yeah, and I think he brings that to this and it, it, it sort of feels slightly out of place yeah, I mean, for me, for me, I love Ralph Fiennes, Angela Bassett, Juliette Lewis. I mean, those are, I, I, I really feel as if they know each other. They're in the same universe together. Mm. I think I would get rid of Sizemore. I mean, I love Sizemore and Natural Born Killers, but I think mm. he, like, like you were identifying with Michael Wincott, I think Sizemore is better at playing over the top, yeah. you know, guys. And this wants to be a sort of like, you know, gritty science fiction, L.A. riots sort of corruption story. It's good at that. It's all the sort of over the top stuff that doesn't quite fit. Yeah. Me. I, know what you mean. I, I sort of, you know, I agree with you saying those kind of those actors. I think I'll give Sizemore a little bit more of a pass because I think he has some scenes that are really good. Um, I don't think Michael Wincott has a scene that he's good in. It's sort of like he's clearly playing something different. However, I do enjoy. I really enjoy the way this film works. Like this film feels like a cyberpunk novel. Like, this becomes like a cyberpunk thriller. Like a, you know, this is a film where I can imagine if this was a novel, like a book, I can I would read this as it, and I can see this being a twisty turny sort of. Um, and it works on that for me. I'm not. I'm following the mystery. I'm following the sort of like the um, the different things that are going on. Like you know, there's this tape. Um, this VR tape from the memory, sort of from the squid of these two cops killing this sort of uh, this black musician, or you know, he's also a protester, and that's interwoven with um, this other thing to do with Juliet Lewis's character and Tom Sizemore, and it's also it just works so well on that story for the plot is the plot is dense, and there are sort yeah. of a few a few sort of plot holes or sort of loops of logic, but like. I, I kind of sort of I kind of enjoy that, and I, so I I think this rattles along really well, and I love that ending. I just love the way sort of um, Angela Bassett sort of like the, the two leveled ending. You've got Angela Bassett facing off against those two cops in the crowd, and you've got the rioters like Perch waiting for an excuse to riot, um, and they take her down and they give her a beating, and it's sort of like you're like Jesus, and it, yeah, the whole thing works of the, the riot police coming in and then shooting down Vince D'Onofrio, and yeah, I I just really rock with this film. Yeah, I mean, except we discussed how that ending is too pat, how you yeah. know uh, that you know, yeah, I get that the chief of police is somebody who uh, Ralph Fiennes would trust, but you know, it, it's the sort of like it it. It evokes the L.A. riots and, and police brutality without while still believing that one good cop is the solution. Yeah. Uh, and I think in the same way, I mean, that the fight on the balcony is a little over the top. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, there's a there's a like that belongs in more demolition, man, than it does in this. And I think you make an excellent point about uh, sort of this being a dense, you know, 300 page cyberpunk novel. I mean, mm. I would read the hell out of that. And I think that is where this movie excels. 
Yes. But there is an awful lot of it that um, that isn't quite up on, to that level or that is like the vestiges of Hollywood tropes or an attempt to kind of be commercial despite this un- uncommercial plot and, and setting mm. and main character. Yeah, it, which is interesting because it is. It's trying to sort of like, where is the, where is your target audience? Like, what are you going for? Do you descale the plot and then have, sorry, descale the budget and therefore go really cult? Or do you become commercial and try and get the wider audience? I think it's trying to do a bit of both. And it, it doesn't quite make it. However, this film still stands up to me. I think it's a, like you say, I think, you know, it's a beautiful film. I think, the, 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 you know, mm. the, the way it's shot, I think, like you say, it's it's really sort of dense. It's it's swinging for the fences, um, but yeah, no, I, I think this film sort of stands up to me in many ways. I mean, not, not to be, you know, we're sort of trying to pick up the pace. I, mean, I, I gave this yeah. a seven. Yeah, I gave this a seven too. Uh, yeah. Masterfully directed. My my, give Catherine Bigelow uh, any sci-fi movie she yeah. wants to do, fund it, make it happen. Yeah, I, I would say like her back catalogue is totally worth checking out. She's done some interesting films. Uh, let, let we'll rattle through the next one because I think we both have agreed. Speaking on the next of one. masterpieces, yeah, <laughs> I found something out about this film the other day mm. um, that I will get into. But we're going to be talking about uh, 1997's Event Horizon. So the first thing I found out about this film: this film only exists because Kurt Kurt Russell. I know you don't like Kurt Russell, but Kurt Russell made this film exist. Another reason for me not to. (laughs) (laughs) So, Paul W.S. Anderson, after this film, went on to make another film called Soldier. Mm, Yes. Um, And so, which is also a film we may get to one day. I've never, I haven't seen it in in a long, long, no, I haven't seen it in such a long time. Um, Anyway, they they were scheduled to make Soldier. But Kurt Russell said, because he was getting on, he'd lost a lot of weight and stuff to look for uh, The Vanishing or, um, or another film he'd done. So he wanted time to get in shape. So he, was, he said he wanted 12 months or some, just over 12 months to dedicate to training. So this gave Paul W.S. Anderson time to make another film. So he had a script kicking about and stuff. And so they went ahead and they gave him the green light to make Event Horizon. Now, there are people in this film that basically had been promised to make a film with Paul to be at Sanson within the film, within that year. Oh, uh-huh. So though, so Jason Isaacs and um, I'm going to check now, Jason Isaacs and two others basically are in this film because their contract with the studio said that they had to do a film with Paul to be Sanson within the year that this was being made. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that's great. That's how you want to make your decisions. That sort of tells you a lot. This goes back to this idea of, um, so yeah, who was it? It was, um, uh, who we got? So yeah, Jason Isaacs and Sean Pertwee. There it is. Those two mm. uh, both also appear in Soldier. Um, and we're supposed to. So that's why we have Event Horizon. Now Event Horizon, I this is what we said it at the time. And... Um, I had a better memory of this film, <laughs> which I wish I'd kept. Where you're like, oh, it's not a bad film. This is Hellraiser in space. And then you watch it and you're like, no, this is shit in space. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's funny is there are fans of this. And, you know, I remember uh, seeing when 
you know, we promote this on Twitter, you know, people saying, all right, you're getting to talk about Event Horizon. And, and you know, we have sort of have to say, yeah, I'm not sure you're going to agree with us, you know, on this episode. And, and my impression is just, you know, nothing works. There is a concept here that it could be a good film, but this mm-hmm. is far from that concept correctly executed. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, I think, if I'm perfectly honest, I think Pete, Paul DeBiss Anderson is, he's one of these sort of directors that everything he's done is, you watch it and you go, yes, yeah, all right, that. And then you sort of think about it and you go, oh, no, it's not. There's problems there or it doesn't really work. Or he's never made a film that you can't sort of completely rip to shreds. I mean, like, you know, he got all his work because of Mortal Kombat in 95 and this other stuff. And so you sort of go, okay, I can see that. And then he made the Resident Evil films and you're like, oh, okay, fine, fine. You know, it's sort of one of those where you're like, he he has a certain type of audience and a certain type of style. And unfortunately, if you want to translate that to a sort of a space-bound horror of this sort of thing, you need to be elevating it in some way. And I just don't think he has the the capability to do that. Yeah, that, that strikes me as about appropriate. Um, I mean, looking at his catalogue, uh, I mean, Soldier... I want to like it. Not a good movie. I mean, the Resident Evil movies are movies that, like, I kind of admire. Like, yeah. it carries, you know, it has the same, uh, yeah. carries a plot forward across, like, six movies. You know, I, 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 there are good people involved. I think Mila Jovovich is great, but I don't ever leave a movie thinking that wasn't awful to one degree or another. Um, yeah. I mean, this is the kind of movie that needs, whether it's a John Carpenter or, or you know, somebody who can really flesh out, you know, the, the whole notion of the hell dimension or uh, yeah. haunted house well, in space. But he tried that, didn't he? He said there's a whole lot of cut footage that's only glimpsed. And the thing is, watching it this time, mm. as you realize that, you go, oh, yeah, this is this, this whole other bit. Uh, that was cut out. Maybe that gives it more depth. When you see this, you sort of go, "No, it's just probably just ten minutes of like gross, you know, over the top special effects, which would be like fine, that's cool, but yeah. it doesn't help the story. It doesn't make any more sense, you know." Um, yeah, I, re- I, I remember that stupid, that stupid spinning, you know, wheel thing that looks fine. And a character going through a, you know, like the the uh, Star Trek sort of uh, tunnels, you know, and yes. the walls, and, and then falling, and it's like suddenly they're overhead, so that you can have this like impalement uh, scene. God, is that? I mean, like, who does that? It's just, yeah, and that's the problem. <laughs> the sh- the ship sort of like the where you are on the ship. The geography of the ship doesn't really quite make sense. The design of the ship doesn't quite make sense. You know, other than thematically, they're like, the ship is shaped like a big cross. Right. Yeah. Why? <laughs> yeah, because you're an adolescent. Looks, and that's it looks it's... cool. Yeah. It, Don't cause... forget, it's got a, like, detaching section that you have to blow the ship up to, to get the detach. Yeah. That's, yeah. Um, and yeah, one of those things is, like you said, this this idea of someone, yeah, and this element of, of um, 
Sam Neill seeing his wife and his wife having committed suicide and all this other stuff, and you're like, okay, well, that's that's going to touch on something. You know, we've watched, I mentioned, like, we've watched Solaris and this idea of this guy, this guy being tempted by this alien presence and all that sort of thing and how it twists with him. Maybe that's going to have a real impact. Oh, it is, but like not in the way we think. It's just going to be, you're just going to see a suicide and then he's going to tear his eyes out. Fair enough. You know, it's it never quite grasps what it should be, what it really could be. And again, you mentioned John Carpenter, like, you know, not too many years before this, um, they'd made in the in the in the mouth of madness, um, with Sam Neill, which you know, mm. the whole idea of Sutter Kane and the novels and the metafiction and that mm. and the end of that film is absolutely phenomenal. I, I love that film, like that's another film I would defend. And again, like you especially because it's got Sam Neill in, you watch that and you go you've done weird nutty sort of similar things before you know um ha- hmm, fair enough <laughs> um yeah this feels like somebody watched solaris which whatever you think about is a deep and meaningful movie and yeah. it's like uh yeah that's cool he sees his dead wife what if instead of having all of these pretentious thoughtful scenes on the spacecraft with like who's in there what is the nature of reality what does death mean what if like he just gouges his eyes out dude and we see like the the tendons from the injury like wow i mean i know that's the mentality behind it oh yeah, yeah it's totally like you know right i've seen solaris how can we make this how can we make this appealing to 14 year old boys <laughs> yes this is, you know, Dark Knight's metal. Yeah. Yeah. Which I recently read, by the way. Um, I've, re- you're re-read a it. braver man than I am. I wanted um, to revisit. We'll talk about that some other time. But yes. But I, I don't want to give Her- Event Horizon much time because it's it's one of those like to just pick it apart. It, it was a real disappointment to go back for me because I thought this was something yeah. different. Well, I um, am sorry for that. Um, I, no, I, gave, yeah. I gave it a three. <laughs> I gave it a four and a half, four point five, um, which is poor, poor to yeah. meh on my scale. I don't think I'll be revisiting it. I think I've reached a point with this where I was like, "Yeah, I've reevaluated it. I'm not going to go back to it." Yeah, um, I thought. I thought to me, like four is poor, but like it's poorly executed. But I see the framework of what you're doing. You've made some bad, you know, execution choices. Three is legit bad. <laughs> like, yeah. like the, the concept that you're attempting to execute is also flawed, and the execution is flawed. Yeah, ev- everything you're doing, it's a bit like, yeah, like Janos, everything you're doing is bad. Like, everything. Don't forget, you'll never do good. Okay, moving on to a slightly different scenario. Same year, 1997, uh, Gattaca. Um, yeah. Well, uh, let's just, uh, I, I mean, I, I would just say, I... I didn't realize this, but I actually selected Gattaca. Uh, mm. I had never seen it. And and watching it, I don't think that I ever saw it. Um, whereas like Demolition Man, I saw all of it. I just don't remember <laughs> it. Um, but uh, Gattaca is one of those movies where, you know, it, it's sort of the opposite of Event Horizon in the sense that basically everything works. Everything looks good. All the acting is good. I just don't, I'm just sort of left with, I don't know what it really has to say. I don't feel as if I know this world. I don't have a lot of complaints, 
it's just this sort of uh, closet drama in a way to me. Mm-hmm. I know, I know exactly what you mean, and, and and this is one of those films that, whilst watching it, I was invested. Like I like the cast, I like the concept, I like the movie. I think there's some great ideas in it, um, and immediately after, I'm like, oh, this is a good film. This, yeah, you know, I really enjoy this film. And then like three or four weeks later, you're like, yeah, I remember some of it, most of it, maybe. It doesn't stick in the memory as well as I thought it would. It's very sort of there's there's things in this that look great, like the color palette and everything, the way they chose to design mm. it and stuff is really cool. Um, uh, and again, like I like Uma Thurman, like Ethan Hawke, Jude Law's great. Like, there's things in it that are really good, but they, like you say, there's like a it never elevates the pulse enough. To be like you know, not even like a, like I said, not in like an action film way, but not even you know, there's not enough, there's never enough tension or thrills to really sort of get that into to, you know to dig it into the memory, um, which is a shame, really. Yeah, I mean, I know exactly what I I had completely forgotten. Jude Law, one of my favorite actors, was even in this. <laughs> You know, I remember those scenes incredibly fondly. I remember that relationship. I love the crossing the street. There are all these wonderful moments, you know, including her sort of, you know, uh, you know, throwing the evidence out at the end, you mm-hmm. know, like, oh, it got caught. I mean, so much is is correctly done, beautifully done. But, you know, I've been thinking about espionage films a lot lately. And there are there's a problem of of not all. But certain uh, spy films and, you know, sort of espionage films where I feel like, right, that was very well made. And I and I think that was a great movie. I can't imagine, you know, it is a complex plot. It pays off. The acting is great. The twists are great. And then, you know, two days later, I think, what is the plot of that movie? I don't remember yeah. that movie at all. It just doesn't stick in the memory and it, and i think the problem is these it's not about anything i mean mm. it, it wants to it does have themes it's about sort of you know um corporate culture and judging people based on genetics but it's a, almost like a parody of those themes and i don't feel as if i leave the picture and i'm i've been brought to think about any of those themes i i don't you know, I leave 2001 and I'm thinking about, you know, I know you don't like that as much as I do, but I'm thinking about the nature of man's existence and our place in the stars and, you know, uh, human evolution. I mean, even Prometheus, I, you know, leave thinking mm-hmm. about some of that. This I leave and I think that looked really good. That was well put together. I think you're right. I think the thing is this film starts. And this is in retrospect, as I think back on it, this film starts with the intent. Like you are shown things of what happens to Ethan Hawke's character, Vincent, as he sort of, as he grows, you know, that sort of thing of being a, um, a was it degenerate gene, or whatever, you know, like he's basically sort of like, he's pure, like he hasn't been, um, or not pure, I should say, he hasn't been genetically modified. And how he's judged and how he's got to give his, you know, a sample of blood for his, uh, for the insurance and all this other stuff, and all that stuff's really interesting, but it's treated in such sort of like offhanded way 
that the story sort of you know so then you get into it and you're like okay so the story is going to be this relationship building story it's going to be about overcoming differences between someone who is genetically modified and someone who isn't and how they come together to sort of make this life and accommodate all these other things between Jude Law and Ethan Hawke and you're like okay that's who's gonna that's what it's gonna be Eugene and Vincent well that never really happens either um and it's there it's it's in the film that still happens you know there are still scenes that sort of like allude to that and show you that but it never quite gets there it never again never gets the pulse racing and then it's the love then it's so it's going to be this this murder mystery nope that's pretty much just a, a note like a sub almost a subplot to sort of like so you're right like i i other than science fiction, I wouldn't know how to classify this. Like, if you go back and look at as we talked about, like you know, the eyes of that face. Oh, it's clearly like a a sci-fi horror or a horror with sci-fi elements. The Man Who Fell to Earth or Star Trek. You can look at these and go, oh, there is a. It's a science fiction blah. Like you know, it has other things you can classify it as. I, I would really struggle to classify Gattaca. Mm. Um, um, but I still like it. Like there's still things in this. I think that's really well done. It looks great. Again, like set design and, and sort of like the setup of the world is great. The cast are good. Like, it's solid throughout. Um, I like the ending. I really like the ending. The way it's sort of like you know it sort of it works out. You know we said about Hollywood. It's still not a Hollywood ending. He gets to his mission, but like there's these little milestones along the way. You know, like Jude Law sort of leaving him all that stuff, and you realise that he's actually been sort of like working for him behind the scenes for all this time, you know. And then that doctor at the thing sort of like has always known and has been supporting him and all this other stuff. But it never, like you said, even those moments never get the heart pounded or sort of racing. You know, there's no sort of like, it's not fist pumping. You know what I mean? It's not like a, it's, they're going for a celebratory ending, but it's not fist pumping ending. Um, and so yeah, it never it just feels like very flat lines. Yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking about how in, in terms of theme, it, it sort of has a that sort of like Twilight Zone feel to it, where yeah. it, this is an elaboration on an idea. And it those ideas in the Twilight Zone ha, which we're discussing on Patreon, you know, if you want to contribute to the podcast, um have they take a, the theme or an idea and they sort of tease it out and put a narrative around it. And if it has anything to come back to that theme and sort of have to say about that theme, that's great. But mm. it could just be teasing that out and making story out of it. I don't feel at the end of this, like you were talking about the beginning and how Ethan Hawke suffers. And, and you think, yeah, that's, I guess that's not good, you know. And by the end of it, you sort of have more questions about Ethan Hawke than you do the society. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't feel as if I want to change that society or destroy that society. I might want to tweak it on the edges. Um, you know, like I, I was thinking of like Fahrenheit 451, where there's no deep commentary except burning books is bad, mm. <laughs> you know, and here's a fascist society that does that. Right. I want that society to be destroyed. But at least I have some emotional engagement with that. Here, it's all very well done, but it strikes me as almost like a play and, and not in a good sense. I mean, there are plays that are really engaging, but just sort of one thing after another. It's all very well acted. It's all, you know, very well written. It's a movie version. It's a very well directed, mm -hmm. but it feels very close. 
and and not in a good way. I, I don't feel as if that's a cross section of a society or, you know, it's not like glass menagerie where it's like, well, you know, the Midwest is really oppressive to an artist, you know, yeah. no, it's just like, yeah. All right. Here's a story about a guy that's well told. One of the things we've said when doing the Twilight Zone is we acknowledge the shortness of those episodes. They're like 22, 25 minutes long. But there's been a few episodes where we've said, wow, if this was 45 minutes long, if it was given an extra 15 to 20 minutes, I'll get really expanded. Like it'd be, it would be a really solid episode. You know, we've, so we've had a couple of those. Then they've crammed too much in that time, or they think you, you know, you'd want to breathe a little more. Or explore this, another idea or character. Or, yeah, yeah, there's just there's just something extra there you'd want to sort of them to keep going on. This film, and in, in you know, we said again, we did talk about this idea of being the the we felt that uh Twilight Zone connection. This is one where I think like if this was half an hour shorter, mm. if this mm. was an hour long episode and you had to make it really tight for TV, I think you would have a really strong <laughs> hours tv of an anthology series yeah i agree with you 100 percent um you know and i think runtime is really important mm -hmm. and you know it's something that you know and again this is i mean i'm looking at what the what the runtime is i mean it's only 106 minutes yeah uh, i mean these days anything under two and a half hours is short <laughs> yeah. uh, but i mean it's 106 minutes but it, it does feel long at 106 minutes um, and I don't have a lot to, I mean, I'm criticizing. I don't have a lot to really criticize it for. I think the performances are really good. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, the casting is good. The the writing is good. Shot after shot is beautiful. I mean, it could use a little more of a budget just to see the exterior of the buildings or a shot of the yeah. city, that kind of thing, to just help me place it. I think. I think the thing with this, yeah, and I agree with what you said, that, and that there, are, there are moments this film I really love. There are still scenes I still think are great, and there are little sort of set pieces that are great. But I think one of the, the, the things in this to highlight that I think encapsulates this is the love affair between Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke. And there's a scene when they hold hands while so watching a guy who's been, you know, he's had extra fingers because that's sort of his thing. He can do this one type of concerto. Mm. And you go, oh, right, so they're falling in love. This is the only signifier I have of that, <laughs> yes. because nothing else is telling me that the, this, this is the case. Um, and there's a coldness to it. And so, like, but it doesn't want to explore that either. Like, you know, OK, there's a reason for that, because is that part of the genetic man manipulation? Like they are this pure breed. And it never sort of drills down into the society, as you say. It. And, and like, that's almost the disappointment, because constantly it gives you things where you're like, oh, that, there's a scene where they, they round up, don't they? The police are rounding up all those degenerates um, looking for the killer. Mm. And they've got them in like a, like a fenced off area. And we both said, like, it's, a, it's like a two minute scene. But you're like, hang on, no, I want to I see that. Like, what is that about? Like, where do they live? What is going on there? Like, that's the story. And this is one of those things where, like, I think either make it an hour-long TV episode of an anthology show or an eight-episode TV mm. show that gets to do all these things and explores this world on a bigger budget. It's yeah. just some, it's somewhere in the middle. I, um, I like that point very much. And and the thing about the coldness, I, I very much feel... I feel like uh, Deckard and Rachel and Blade Runner have a similar coldness, 
but there I feel as if even that has more heart. I mean, that, that yeah. is, and there it feels like it's defined by their society, right? Like it's like yes. I'm watch, I'm watching, um, you know, Saint Pe- life in Saint Petersburg during the the winter or something, and and it's like wow. Everything is so terrible in this post-apocalyptic <laughs> thing. Like, yeah, we love each other, but you could die in a snowbank tomorrow. You know, it's that kind of, it's about something. It's a reason why it's emotionally cold. Yeah. Um, this, they just seem cold. And maybe that's supposed to be a reflection of that corporate culture in which people are disposable. I think it is. But I, it doesn't feel connected. It doesn't, yeah. the movie doesn't do the work to connect it for me. No, no. And so I think especially not when they're rounding people up, like you said. Yeah, and so there's much more to do this. So, just so we can let's let's move on from that. So I think yeah, Yeah. it's it's a fine film, and I do think you know it's one I think you know probably worth revisiting as a a bit of a touchstone. But uh, I I only gave I gave this a six. Well, I gave it a seven. Oh, Um, you know I think it's a good film. You know it it doesn't go beyond that, but I mean I Mm. think it's I think it's a good film. why don't we discuss Open Your Eyes and Vanilla Sky together, since they're sort of the same plot? Yes, let's do that. I think, yeah, it's a good idea. So, uh, Open Your Eyes and, and, and Vanilla Sky, a couple of years apart, Penelope Cruz connects the two. Um, and we did do this comparison piece, really, as a, as a sort of a standout for, this, for the season. And I, I've thought back on these two. Um... um I'm trying to sort of think how to articulate this. Which one stuck with me more mm. is what I've been thinking. And then in, and in which ways. And the more I thought about these two, the more they sort of bleed together, but also sort of come apart. It's like a, it's almost like a, a lava lamp effect. It's like they sort of meld together, but then fall, you know, come apart. And there's this weird effect of like, I like this element of your of the Spanish version, but like there's other bits that just don't work, and sort of then there's like things with like Vanilla Sky where I'm like I really like this, and you you know this is where they gel together, and then they, but then this bit doesn't work over here. It's a really bizarre this this sort of Hollywoodization and this sort of European cinema sort of coming together becomes a very interesting comparison, which is why I'm glad we did it. Yeah, I agree, and and I think that. You know, I mean, I tend to be a little more down on Cruz than other people tend to be. Um, but I was I was quite taken with him this time through. Um, mm. and, and for me, the uh, Vanilla Sky was better than Open Your Eyes, which was the reverse of in the past. Which to me suggests and, and I found Vanilla Sky really haunting. And I remember mm. sort of having to stop in the middle of it and have a smoke and take the, because it, it just hits on so many things of my life and so many anxieties um where you know but i think that the fact that those sort of flipped indicate that sort of the opposite of gattaca that gattaca's minute for minute more meticulously made than probably either of these films Mm. having said that both of these films have material that sticks with me and that I want to keep thinking about and I carry forward. And it's probably a good sign that as I get older, what resonates with me is enough to flip my estimation. No, uh, yeah, I, I, I can see, what you, I know what you mean. Um, 
And th- this but is you're true. wrong. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. It's, no, no it's, it's interesting to me because I don't ever seen Vanilla Sky before. Like I hadn't, I'd never seen Open Your Eyes. So this was interesting for me to sort of see. Oh, here's the original. Like this is the this is the original concept, and it's very nineties. I think Open Your Eyes is incredibly nineties in many many ways. And there are elements in it that I really like. Like I like the fact that it, you know, uh, as we said, the sort of the um, uh, the main character. Um, you know his disfiguration in uh, Open Your Eyes is much uh, more evident. Uh, it's played up a hell of a lot more. So this idea of the mask seems to make a lot more sense, um, and his bitterness and sort of thing comes through. And so you know this character, they're, they're very different characters um, between the two. And so the, I had more confusion in that one when you're like. Yeah, why is Penelope Cruz even interested in this guy? Like, he's clearly an absolute prick. Um, you, mean, and also, you mean win which version? Uh, in, in Open Your Eyes. Because he, 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 he never comes across well. Like, he's clearly a bad guy, which is fine. And I said, but I'm quite happy and fine with that. But, like, it makes you question, like, that relationship. And he, he comes across more aggressive. And so the night in the disco, which is the turning point, becomes much more understandable um in open your eyes however when you watch vanilla sky the relationships between everybody all the characters work so much better for my for my money like you know when you watch it, you go, oh, okay, i understand this and the relationship with with um i remember if a bloody hell leggy blonde um <laughs> um Cameron Diaz. Uh, Cameron Diaz. Oh my God. Yeah, you. Would, I understand that much more as to why she does what she does, and this idea of being rejected and being, you know, falling in love, and also like she's clearly like, you know, mm. slightly crazy, but like it makes more sense. It makes more sense as to why he gets in the car, like his experience of guilt and all this other stuff. Like all that works. Yet still, that turning point moment in the bar makes less sense. Yes. Yeah. And so it's that sort of thing of going, like, I love all this, I'm saying about this lava lamp where I'm like, I love all this stuff you've got going on <laughs> over here. But then this does like oil and it's sort of like, I can't, it gel, doesn't quite gel together. So between the two, there's this sort of like mixing together, like the two make, they work for each other, but there's bits in each that really sort of challenge me. Yeah, I think I, I love what you're saying. I think in memory, I remember the characters and the the actors better from open your eyes mm. um i like that the protagonist i mean he's handsome but he's spanish handsome i mean he yeah. he's, doesn't have the same uh, you know polished hollywood uh look i like that um i think penelope cruz is you know i i fall in love with her a little yes. more in open your eyes um you know, the, the actress of the rival who winds up killing them. I mean, I picture her more than I picture uh, Penel, uh, Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz. Um, and, and I don't like, uh, I don't like, what's his name? Uh, Escape from New York guy um, as the... Oh, Kurt Russell. Yeah, I don't like Kurt Russell as the psychiatrist. <laughs> so there are a lot of ways in which, like, the... Ways that I imagine these characters, I imagine them open your eyes. And yet, the world that they inhabit, I imagine Vanilla Scott. <laughs> like, I imagine the cars. I imagine yeah. New York. I ima- I mean, Times Square being creepy. I imagine um, 
E-L, you know, the or L-E, the life extension, looking like that. I love tech support, and, mm. and I'm crying out for that. And, you know, the surreality of this, this, I think it does a better job of, of making you feel like you're going crazy watching it. Um, and I think that, to me, that suggests that the, the Hollywoodization, that extra money is put to good effect. Yes. If the, if the things that are lacking in the Spanish version are the overall world and the stuff that costs money, you know, okay, that's understandable. Yeah. No, I understand because it feels like the, the the Spanish version feels like an independent film, doesn't it? Like it looks and feels like an indie film, which is fine again because it's, it's very nineties. I've got no problem with that. I think the thing is, like you say, one of the things that works best is that. Um, Cruise is, is is has more charisma, mm. mm-hmm. and it and it carries it just carries so much more, and he's able to do that because he's a Hollywood star. Like he knows how to utilize the screen. Him and Cameron Crowe clearly work together to do this, to have that impact. And so some of those scenes, like you say, the scene of Times Square being about being empty, um, or um, like you said, you want to call him for tech support. Um, and there's other scenes as well, sort of like, you know, where he sort of, he is doing things and he's just, he is, I'm, I'm not saying he's a fantastic, like he's not an Oscar winning actor in my opinion, like he's, he's a movie star. Mm-hmm. A movie star comes with a level of charisma that just works for this film that I think is lit lacking from the other film. But I also think that that works for the cast. I think one of the things we said, or at least I said, was the one of the reasons you fall in love, or at least I, I agree, you fall in love with Penelope Cruz more in open your eyes is because she is the shining star of that film like it's no there isn't you watch that film you're like oh yeah there's no question as to why she then has a hollywood career after this like she's she's a great actress she's beautiful she knows how to you know she has that x factor and then you get moving to villain sky you put an ex of tom cruise and cameron diaz who's coming through at the same time and you're like oh okay you have you've just leveled out (laughs) Mm. you haven't lost anything you're just up there with everybody else. Right. Um, you're in the big leagues now. You're in a bigger pond. You know, you're not the big, you're not the big fish anymore. You're the same size fish, but in a bigger pond. Um, and it works though, but it works on a great effect. But like you say, they then pull back on things like the murder mystery element sort of feels mm-hmm. lesser in Vanilla Sky. Mm-hmm. And I agree, this isn't great Kurt Russell. I think, you know, he tries to play this. The, the character they're trying to give him is different to the one that's in Open Your Eyes. They have this idea of, they, they play with this idea of, um, a father figure, this pop culture idea of the father figure. And I'm still going like, then why did you cast Tom Cruise? Like, you know, why didn't you ta- cast someone who's older and like you know, Sam Elliott or fatherly. Yes, yeah. yeah. You yeah, you want someone who's gonna look sort of like, you know, be that fatherly figure rather than mm. Kurt Russell, you know. So fit that that's a bit of an unusual one. But um it, it still works. It, it it just seems to come together as a as a film slightly slightly better, I think, than than Open Your Eyes. No, I think so too. Now, um, you know, one of the things that occurs to me just now talking about it is that Open Your Eyes. You know, you were saying it feels like a, an independent film. It feels like a mm-hmm. Spanish film. One of the things that occurs to me is that it doesn't feel uniquely Spanish. I. Oh, mm. Vanilla Sky is uniquely American. Yes. Um, and one of the things that Vanilla Sky does that I that I really love because it can afford the music and whatnot is <laughs> this sense of 
you know, the good vibrations, but yeah, also yeah. the sense of the Americana and the Bob Dylan cover and the ways in which our lives are influenced by these ideas of romance, even from Hollywood. <laughs> The um, cover, that album cover, like say when he's you know he replicated the album cover in a memory lock, stuff like that. That's the stuff I liked at the end of the film when the like the text supposed to explain it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and even even the concept of vanilla sky, which isn't in there mm. in the original, of you know you got this from a painting, right? Your mm. idea of what a romantic, beautiful sky is. So you know, thinking about this now, I'm thinking about I had when I studied Spanish cinema at university, I had a professor who who said basically. All Spanish cinema is about the Spanish Civil War. And it works. It is absolutely true. I mean, you could run that analysis. So if you want to run that analysis, and, and Amenabar is actually has tried to get away from that. You know, he's mm -hmm, tried mm -hmm. to like make movies that were, I mean, even when he was doing low budget stuff in Spain, he's tried to make movies that were pitched to an international audience and responded to Hollywood and did weren't just in a, a Spanish cinema niche. Uh, and I think that's why a big part of why this is successful. But you could see the totalitarian um, sort of magic realism distortion of reality under uh, the Franco regime as being reflected in open your eyes of, you know, oh, yeah. what is that's there if you want to find it. Surely like that thing of the paranoia as well when he talks about his partners, this thing of this, this other that you never see mm, mm -hmm. coming to take away his business and stuff, which is obviously fleshed out more in Vanilla Sky. Very good point. Yeah, I mean, that's fantastic. And it's strange, but that movie doesn't lean into it. Yes. It doesn't. It, it feels like it could easily be transposed onto another location. Um, which, even though it has Spanish themes, you could argue, you know, it is a Spanish film in a quintessential way. It, it, it feels like it could be just, uh, transposed. And then when you see it transposed, it's amazing how, you know, some of those themes aren't as rich, like the murder mystery. But mm -hmm. but uh, Cameron Crowe is able to add this other layer of sort of Americana and and television and sort of like, you know, the network, the, the all-consuming aspect of American entertainment yeah, yeah. that, you know, almost has become more important to us than our actual relationships uh, in a way that I found really interesting between the two. No, I agree. I think it's a really good point because it's that thing of leaning into it. Like Cameron Crowe does lean into the idea of the American and lean into the American um, experience where, like you say, um, the, the Spanish one sort of leans away from the Spanish experience and probably is slightly more generic for it, like, very slightly. Okay, then, so say, say this, what scores have we got then for Open Your Eyes and Vanilla Sky? Okay, what so is, this, this time around, I gave Open Your Eyes a 7 and Vanilla Sky the 8. In the okay. past, I would have flipped those two. <laughs> okay, I've given Open Your Eyes a 6.5 and I've given Vanilla Sky a 7. Um, they're very sort of marginally that mm. it's because again, like I said, there's just bits from one I like and the other from, and you know, they do meld together as a, in that sort of lava lamp kind of way. But no, yeah, they, they, they were. I'm glad we got to do that as a comparison piece. Okay, finally, um, as I last but not least, yeah, and as I described in the episode, uh, we're gonna we're gonna end with some waffly bollocks. Um, <laughs> we're gonna end with the fountain. Um, so Hugh Jackman, Rachel, uh, Rachel Weiss, and um, 
possibly a, a metafiction narrative. Um, you know, we spoke about in, in sort of the last episode. Uh, so this is the most recent one we've, we've sort of talked about. But um, it, it's it. We've talked about these in reflection. Right? On reflection, how in retrospect, how do we feel about these? Have they stayed with us? Um, th this one sort of stayed with me weirdly because more more because of the conversation it sparked between us than the actual film. Um, the film's great. I think the film is beautiful. I think this is one of the best shot films we've we've seen. I think you know, and then to learn that there was very little practical, sorry, very very little CGI in this, and all the practical effects is even more astounding, and that's impressed me more. However, the narrative sort of style of this and the waffly bollocks about it being a story and, and a book then still sort of bothers me. <laughs> um, where I'm like, you know, it's, it feels like that level of pretense where I'm like, yeah, I know what you're doing, but like, you know, it's sort of like meditating bald Hugh Jackman still bothers me. <laughs> that last, that last, that last the trans film. The transcendent Hugh Jackman, that's, you know. When when you say you're Zen Cohen, you've got to have an image of Ball Hugh Jackman in the lotus position <laughs> yeah. in front of you. Yeah, you know what's funny is is um I'm the guy who can't let go, right? I'm the over intellectualizing guy. And I and I feel like you know, that stuff is here. I mean, it, you can analyze this endlessly. You can over intellectualize not over intellectualize it, you can there's meat here to get mm. into. There are mysteries. There are things to discuss endlessly here, especially for a 96 minute movie, right? Yeah. So there's so much meat here. Having said that, especially in talking to you, what's amazing is this is a movie where I just totally go on the journey and mm. I do what everybody else does with Marvel movies where, you know, I mean, I, I don't mean to hit on Marvel movies yet again, but, you know, <laughs> other people go to the movies and they're like, dude, Julian, chill the F out. You know, it's a movie. It's just go go with the flow, man. Like, what do you want? Uh, you know, the Winter Soldier to stop and, you know, talk about uh, Kierkegaard. You know, it's a movie. You know, And other people can just relax into these movies. This is a movie that I relax into. And for 96 minutes, I am just engrossed. I am emotionally engaged. I'm intellectually engaged. I'm visually engaged. The the audio, um, I'm I'm just immersed in this world. And it has that stuff if I want to, you know, go to that intellectual mm. place. But it also has that emotionally connective place. So, I mean, for me, this is my, in retrospect, this is my kind of movie. <laughs> Yeah, no. What, what, uh, one of the things that's interesting, having talked about all these films, is that we've talked about this idea of poetry. We talked about it in, when we talked about this film, and I can turn this back to like Eyes Without a Face, uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth, probably elements of Open Your Eyes and Vanilla Sky. This idea of sort of this audio-visual poetry, this idea of art that's been presented to us. Um, and again, the fountain sort of fits into that category very much so. Like this again is a film in poetry. This is a film, to, you know, they want to, to tell you these themes and these ideas, and it has all these sort of like interwoven and stuff. And visually, like it tells you these things. Like again, I still can't get over some of the visuals in this film. Like this film is a visual feast, like an absolute stunning visual feast, right down to sort of simple, silly things like 
uh, when Rachel Weisz is shown as the Queen Queen Isabella, the fact she's got a tr- the dress is made to look like a, the, the trunk of a tree, yet she has the green leaves overlapping. Like all this stuff is done incredibly well, fantastically well, and I'm enjoying all that. I really do. It's then this sort of thing of like the way that the narrative then folds into on itself and does this and does that. And I'm like, and we talked about this idea of how we, you know, we I'm used to this probably in other mediums slightly more and stuff. But with this, I don't know, it, it just felt you use it, it felt right. You know, I, yeah, you get to that point and it just feels right. And I'm like, yeah, it sort of does. But the fact that that's the bit that felt right is almost wrong to me because i'm like oh okay i've been led to this point and now the fact that that feels right feels like a cheat um and it made me sort of as we've been talking about it, it makes me think of like the man who fell to earth where we said about those those moments when you're like yeah why does he see pilgrims like it makes no <laughs> bloody sense like i don't get that like get rid of it um yet i still go on that journey and and this sort of tells me something about myself where i'm willing to let things go in a film like The Money Fell to Earth, and that I won't let go in this for some reason. And the part of it is down to aesthetics. And I think I have, I lean into like that 70s aesthetic. I just, I just seem to, it seems to appeal to me at times where I'm like, oh no, this looks cool, it's weird, and I can have, I can have David Bowie dancing around naked, and I'm fine with that. Yet Hugh Jackman bald doing the lotus position, so I'm like, oh, this is irritating me. And I don't know why that is. Yeah, that's very that's very interesting. Let's 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 push on this. I mean, because I I have come to realize about myself that I am incredibly aesthetically driven, mm. and that even in my own life, um, part of the part of the reason why I should probably not live in the Midwest is like the endless <laughs> fields of mud and corn. Uh, and soybeans are, are just mind numbing. And, and, you know, like, I mean, I cannot stand just one concrete box after another with a parking <laughs> lot. I just think, you know, I need to look at something visually striking or I'm going to kill myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I. So, you know, and it's not just visual, you know, it's also audio, it's also taste, you know, but. But for me, the fountain is moment by moment, aesthetically very powerful, very striking. <laughs> to me, the, the man who fell to earth, it's it's like, I mean, you were talking about set design and how we haven't talked about it enough. It's it's all well designed, but it's it. I'm not in another universe. Like I'm not boggled by minute by. It's not an MTV music video, right? <laughs> this is an MTV music video. This is yes. that level of just minute by minute by minute. I'm watching like, you know, this insane Koyana Scotsy or whatever. Mm. Right? Like I'm, I'm on this journey um, compared to that. I mean, to me, uh, the man who felt earth feels like a intellectually engaging, but a, but a very slow, unesthetic, ex- you know, experience by comparison. <laughs> I'm yeah. just trying to tease this out. No, no, I know what you're saying, and I'm thinking about this now. And like I say, so visually, like I say, the vi- there are visually appealing things in, in the fountain. And I think sometimes I think it's about like because you know we said about what the, the the fountain is about, and this this idea of dealing with grief 
um, and, and and you know getting uh, past death and this idea of sort of like the, the the one or the soulmate and all these ideas being sort of bandied around and redemption for making mistakes in life and so really it's got all these themes that i really that really appeal to me and again like i said you can dig into that that i don't think you can do with the money fell to earth so there's other things there about eco and you know alienization and all these other bits different and i do but i do think this is maybe but there's more weirdly i feel there's more of a narrative with the man who fell to earth and that's the thing you're saying you're aesthetically driven I'm, I'm more narratively driven and that's where it's sort of i think the blocker is for me where i'm like you know as you sort of said but those are the films like i'll go well look, you're two degrees off this this is the narrative decision you probably should have made you know in retrospect mm-hmm. and i'm watching these two films so i'm thinking like oh look, i see there's a narrative thread in the man who fell to earth and i'm following that and i'm following characters and i'm enjoying that this, uh, there's this weirdness along this narrative thread but with the fountain, I'm just going like, it looks great, and I'm getting a feel from it, and I'm getting an emotional reaction, but I haven't got a bleeding clue what is actually <laughs> going on. Um, and I'm so that that and that, I get that, so I get that sort of frustration. I, I I love what you're saying, and and obviously everyone's really on somewhere on the spectrum because I mm. think about like everything you're saying makes total sense to me. I I, I think the narrative is is key there. Uh, plot is key. I mean, I think about, but I often have that same reaction where mm. I often think, you know, I mean, every David Lynch movie, I think, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's an idea. It looks fine, but that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't work with, there's no theme being elaborated here. You know, uh, you know, just throwing some shit that's pretty on a canvas doesn't make it a good movie. No. Um, with The Fountain, so, I mean, my question is sort of, you know, we all sort of have our different tolerances. And I, I guess with The Fountain, I feel like it, it works. It's weird, but it, I mean, it works emotionally. It works narratively enough that I'm able to let go and get into that space, whereas I'm not in some more experimental narratives. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It does. I hear what you're saying, and I know exactly what you mean by this idea of sort of having watched sort of some of the David Lynch film again. It's that thing about weird for weird's sake. You can sometimes, and again, you you say this, you know, this idea of a spectrum. That there's this idea of a sort of like a, a a switchboard, a sort of like a mixers board, isn't there? This idea of sort of like okay, they would have really thrust up the narrative and pulled down the weird or whatever. Um, and then you're going to have themes and things thrown in. And I find that when you watch Lynch, Lynch is, is again, like this idea of, we're going to start this idea of visual poetry or, you know, film as poetry. He's more like whatever pops into head, like, what do they call him? Sort of like a beat poet. Like, it's just sort of like <laughs> random stuff. I can watch, and again, people will argue with this. Like, I've seen, I haven't seen Blue Velvet for years, but, like, you can see some of his films and go, right, I can see what you're doing visually. I don't really feel there's much of a meaty theme here mm-hmm. like you have one thing or maybe a couple but like the film itself doesn't feels a bit more like you woke up one morning and you you wanted to do something on this thing um with the man who fell to earth it's, it feels very much like it has a driving theme there's some driving narrative themes there that go all the way through it but then with on the other other end of the spectrum is the fountain 
where the narrative is sort of pulled back to an extent. But those themes, the, mm. the, the emotional impact and the themes, it's like the visual there, the visuals are in there for the poetry, but like, but the themes are heavy and mm. really well integrated into the film and beautifully presented. And so I'm, cause I'm not a fan of um, Lynch either. Like I just can't get on with it because I just find it's just lumpy and messy and, um, and that's what I think maybe sort of like the Manifold to Earth and the, and, and the Phantom are on different ends mm. of this spectrum. And so because they are, although they are sort of quite far apart, because they, they are good at doing what they are trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have to sort of decide if you want that. Um, and so I can see what you're saying. Like I, I lean more towards that narratively driven sort of like, you know, thread of, of um, the, the Manifold to Earth. But I can so see the appeal of the Fountain. Mm even if I do take the mickey out of Hugh Jackman. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and that's fair. And and I don't want this to, you know, to turn into the, like, bash David Lynch thing, you know, which, I mean, that's often an argument mm. that I have with uh, intellectuals or, uh, you know, film fans or pseudo-intellectuals or whatever. Um, but, you know, the the... I think you're right about theme, that this is so filled with theme. This is so imbued with you know, regret and death. And I feel like, you know, if you can say, if you can say that any movie is possibly the most effective meditation on death you've ever seen in cinema form, even if it's on a a short list, that's quite a statement. And I can easily say that about this. So maybe it is that emotion, that theme that helps set it apart um, if somebody, on the other hand, I know people who hate this movie, mm-hmm. uh, you know, who, you know, I, I'll talk to and they're my buddies and they're just like, yeah, you know, like, oh, my God, that pretentious wankery, you know, mm-hmm. I'll be like, you know, I'll just laugh. And it's like, you know, that's totally fine. And if and if they if they are moved by by Lynch and I moved by this, I mean, we can have those discussions and, you know, maybe I'm more affected by a certain type of aesthetic or by theme, as you're pointing out. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, maybe this is the point at which stuff does become subjective and, and, and mm. our own uh, viewpoints break down. But if anyone is affected and goes on that kind of emotional aesthetic intellectual ride from cinema hey if they're getting it from blue velvet not my not my particular drug but (laughs) dude that's awesome go with god you know i i get it from the fountain no i i I agree with that uh, and you know what you're saying i think the other thing to just to note about this as well is and something we mentioned the episode is when you see this film Mm. Mm. And I think that, you know, again, like we said, like, you know, you can be 23 or 22 and you watch this film and you can be like, I don't get it. Like, I, don't, I don't understand this this whole, you know, this old, this meditation on death. I don't get it. Like, I've not lost any, I've lost a dog, I've, I've lost a rabbit, you know, <laughs> that's about it. Like, my grandparents are still alive, you know, my, my, my parents are alive. I've not had this, this experience of death. This might be um, a 23 year old Brit as opposed to like a 23 year old uh, war yeah, survivor. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then, like you say, you, you, you know, then 
you do you experience life and you experience these losses and then all of a sudden you know you you may have you may be in a relationship or you may have passed a relationship or whatever and you then you watch this film and you go oh yeah that's that thing that i saw when i was watching when i was 22 23 like did that didn't impact me like oh no at 42 43 like it does like that 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 life experience and that's not to say you've got to be, you know, there's a maturity of watching this film. I think this film comes with a life experience, almost requirement, you know. And that's not to say you can't enjoy it younger. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that this film comes with, and Aronofsky is clearly of an age where he's going, no, this is my life experience and this is how I'm presenting it. And I think that's an important part of it. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it makes me think of... Um... I mean, and I don't think that that makes it better or worse that it requires mm. that. I mean, maybe it is a level of maturity, but, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with stuff that that I think there are things that touched me as a young man in a way that they don't touch me now. And I don't think that those things are Catholic priests. Sorry. Well, <laughs> no. Um, yeah, no, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave that alone. I'm not going to make any jokes on air. Uh, it is so difficult. Um, but I don't think that makes, I mean, I don't think that makes, you know, the things that affected me then any less deep. I just think it's different themes grow on you. And I don't think at 20, I would have been affected by Solaris. I, you know, Mm-mm. I mean, it's just not, I'd be like, yeah, I get it. He, he misses his wife. Like, yeah. what's the big deal? <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I agree that you need, I think there are certain films that you need life experience to be able to sort of bring to them. And, you know, um, you hear this of actors, you know, they've come to a role. I think the reverse is also true. In defense Mm. of the young, I think the reverse is also true, that there are things that don't affect me now. Like, yeah, you got to give up on your dreams, right? Because your dreams were totally unrealistic and you were super privileged. And, you know, like, I get it. We all have to give up on our dreams a little, Mm. you know? Whereas when I was 20, that was a really important theme. Like, that was a tragedy. Oh, yeah. No, I agree. But there's also, yeah. And I think when that's explored in, in content, and also, but I think, like, we, we've said this about things being made for people, you know, sort of like, I watch TV. Superhero shows is a good example to sort of to roll this out. Like, there's people that are like, I hate that. And you go, no, it's just not made for you. You know, mm-hmm. you know they've introduced a gay Batwoman. She's now black, and you go right, fine. You're a 45 year old male. Like, stop fucking watching it. It's not for you. Like, you know that that's no. not the point. Um, but there could Watch be it if you want, them. but it, it's not it's not a slap in your face because exactly. you don't happen yeah. to be a 45 year uh, or yeah. you don't have to be a black woman. And I, and I noticed these things when I'm like, you know, when I was a kid, I, I was I really enjoyed Buffy the Vampire Slayer and and sort of like you know Serenity. You watch those shows, and you go, oh yeah. And now I watch those same sort of like, not those, but you watch those CW shows or teen shows. And I'm like, yeah, I'm hating on this. Why am I hating on this? Oh, yes, because it's not for me. Like, you know, I'm not in that life. I'm not in that bit of life anymore where the the challenges that they are presenting those characters with means the same to me as it did then. And that's not to say it's bad. It's just saying that I'm not in that space anymore. It's not for me. And I think that you can say the same about film. You can go to the go, yeah, no, this film's not for you. You know, you can watch it. You can enjoy it. You can criticize it. You can, I hope you do enjoy it. But like there is a person somewhere that's in a specific life, life moment that this film is for. And you mentioned 
you know, your trip to the cinema with your former girlfriend, that moment yeah. and that being one of those live synchronicities where you're presented with a piece of media, you're like, oh no, this captured a moment in time. And that's what this film does. Yeah, very well said. Um, well, I, I gave this film a nine, mm-hmm. uh, which is the same that I gave The Man Who Fell to Earth. So in that dichotomy between narrative and one that you chose and and, and yeah. non and one that I chose, I, I think both a season with two nines from Julia. That is, that is good. I gave it a seven, which wow. is pretty close. I gave yeah. Man Who Fell to Earth a seven and a half. So they are close. And I appreciate how good this film is. Um you know, I don't need any more bold uh, Hugh Jackman in my life. But <laughs> I'm, that I'm, is a David Lynch moment where it's like, you know, yeah, right. That's you know, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 yeah. It's just interesting the way they have him floating and glowing and all sort of stuff. And it's just like you know, it, it's the shock of it. But it, you know, it's fine. It's fine. So there we are. Anyway, so we've we've done it. We've gone through our films. We've done uh, quite a you know, this is a hell of a wrap up. I think we've sort of given some more insight into them. That's 12 films that we've sort of looked at and given our scores on. Go back and check those. I might even put them on the website, actually. I think that'd be quite a good idea. Yeah, I, I keep track. Interestingly, your highest was Little Shop of Horrors at 8.5. Yeah. And I agree with you at 8.5. That was uh, just like uh, Buckaroo Banzai went down from 5 to a 4.5. I have to confess, Little Shop of Horrors went down from a 9 to an 8.5. Okay. So. But, you know, that was your standout for But we're very close on that. So probably that's the winner of the season overall. I think so. I think to be clear when we say that, the director's cut. Yeah. To be very clear that like, the director's cut of Little Shop of Horrors is, is the one to seek out. Um, and it's available on Blu ray. I think it's the director's cut is now the one you see on streaming if you find it on streaming. So. Go go seek it out. It's and if you, just to be sure. If you want to make sure, just quickly check the ending. Uh, it, uh, no spoilers for a film that's like, like thirty five years old. Um, it ends with uh, a whole load of Audrey's over the over cities, and it's it's fantastic. Um, but so that's it. So that is our season three done. But we're not done. We never finish. This is an ongoing experiment and an ongoing project. Uh, we've got a couple of things coming up before we start season four. I'm not going to get into the content of season four just yet, because um, that is another fantastic list. We have done the list. I'm not going to lie. You know, Julian and I have got m- massive long lists, long lists <laughs> of films that we want to cover. And we've got some awesome, we've got animation. We have got films coming from all over the world. We've got uh, some Japanese, we've got Russian um, we've got some British, we've got some French. We've got quite a lot of Japanese actually looking at the list. Um, some classics, some uh, something a little bit more obscure, uh, and just to throw it in there, we have got. I'm not gonna lie, we have got. Uh, some, I'm not gonna say which. We've got some Michael Bay. We have got some Michael Bay appearing in there, uh, and also uh, true little... cinema is the is a phrase you're looking for. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, so we've got some really interesting stuff coming up, and we are covering one of the things I will say before we forget, we are covering a much wider span of time as well we are covering almost well we are actually covering 90 years of cinema in the next season so that's coming up so that'll be coming up in 2022 but before we get there we've got a little couple of mid or inter-season bonuses for you first we've got a a a terry gilliam mini retrospective we're going to be re-airing some episodes that julian and i did for 20th century geek i'm going to be re-editing those and putting those out and then we are going to accompany those 
um, with 12 monkeys. So we're going to be covering off sort of uh, what is known as the Terry Gilliam Imagination Trilogy um, of Brazil, Time Bandits and the Adventures of Baron Munchausen. And then we're going to top that off <clears throat> with 12 monkeys. And then we're going to be jumping into a blue box with a crazy man from a scrapyard. We're going to be talking about Doctor Who, classic, classic Doctor Who. Let's be clear. Doctor Who from 63 to 89, uh, the seven Doctors. Well, we're going to be covering eight Doctors, really, technically, um, because we're going to be talking about Peter Cushing as well. We're throwing in a, a hammer doctor just for the just the sake of it so i'm going to call out the stories so if you want to go get start get watching let's talk them through so hartnell's doctor we're going to cover what we're doing and i'm still talking i'm waffling i know we're going to be covering one of those seasons each one's a story that's considered a standout for each of the doctors that's the idea so we're not doing the whole thing we're just doing a story from each so for hartnell the, the first doctor the aztecs uh then we're going to be covering doctor who invasion earth 2152 uh, from the Hammer series. Then for the Troughton Doctor, we're going to be covering the uh, the Macra Terror for Sean Pertwee's Doctor, uh, Inferno uh, for Baker number one, fourth Doctor, Genesis of the Daleks. For Davison, we're going to be covering Earthshock. Uh, for C Baker, Colin Baker, Vengeance of Varos or Varos. And then for McCoy, the seventh Doctor, Remembrance of the Daleks. So that's what we're going to be covering. Uh, and we're going to be covering each one of those stories. So go find them out. They are available in different places. I'm going to be covering them from BritBox, uh, which has actually got, or had, I think, in the new year, had a bit of a uh, special offer on, so go check that out. But they're available on DVD uh, and all of the sources. I'm sure you can go find them. Uh, so, Julian, what are your thoughts? Ready for Doctor Who? Absolutely. Well, you and I are both Doctor Who fans. Yeah. So, you know, this will be a treat. And uh, there are ones in there that I haven't seen. Um, I've probably seen a third or so of the original series. So, you know, I'm excited to do 12 Monkeys and, and mm. Gilliam and uh, then spend some time for Doctor Who. I mean, between that and Red Dwarf, we are nailing British sci-fi television. Well, not just that. We've also done Quatermass. We've That's done true. so a pre-Doctor Who, Doctor Who. So we've done Quatermass. Now we're doing the classic Doctor. So... Yeah, and I think one of the questions we will be answering at the end of that is, you know, between, we'll keep it to ourselves for now, but between it's like, who is our favourite Doctor, uh, the classic era? Um, we'll keep it under wraps for now, but we'll be addressing that. But yeah, so if you've enjoyed this season, and I hope you have, it's been a fantastic ride for us, um, please let us know. You can find us, as Julian said, you can find us on Pod Time Space on Twitter. Come uh, find us, come say hello. Uh, also come find our boss, we haven't really mentioned him today, but Tilleran Lem is also available on social media. He's been, uh, you know, he, what we were recording this just before Christmas. He's been a bit quiet recently. He's trying to keep away from the Spider-Man spoilers. Um, but yeah, he'll be very active. And he's become more active. He's going to be providing some reviews for us. Maybe some Doctor Who commentary. We shall see. Um, Have you noticed yeah, that, that when we don't refer to him in an episode, you like get a headache that lasts for like a week? Yeah. Is he doing watching. that? Is is he? I mean, is that just a coincidence? Or, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't know, but like you know, it's sort of like the voice of the Mister on. Sometimes in my dreams, I just have this voice saying, sort of like you know, do this. So, I, I have you have you edited that yet? Yeah, I have, I have, I promise. So, um, we will be, we will be, he will be taking more part in things in 2022. Um, 
so yeah go find us have a conversation try and sort of go say hello uh, but also go find us on any platform any podcast platform and leave us a review we're gonna be going for some review drives this year uh try and get some more sort of uh things out there uh, to, and to that point this is our 66th episode mm. um you know and, and that's counting the the dune special that we put out uh most of these episodes are two hours well you know yeah. whether you need yeah. two hours on all of these movies or not a lot of time and a lot of love we we love doing this but a lot of time and a lot of love goes into doing this so you know if you get a chance just to review it you know let people know what it is that we're up to bless you you know you're appreciated yes we really do we really do appreciate it and of course the final thing if you want to keep the uh, keep helps keep the lights on and keep us uh, energizing uh Tilleran, uh please check out our patreon it's uh, www.patreon.com slash 20cg media that's 20cg media uh, and we've got different kinds of things on there but more importantly for anyone who's watching uh, listening to this uh, Julian and I have a weekly podcast called Trekking Through the Twilight Zone, uh, in which case, well, in which part we talk about a different episode each each week for 15 to 20 minutes. Um, and we are wrapping up, rapidly wrapping up on season one. And we're going to be getting into, we're getting into season two. So uh, there is, I don't know, hours of Twilight goodness on there to go. Please go check it out. And that's available at the five pound level entry level but you know it shows your help your support and your dedication so we appreciate it anyway we yeah that's like a that's like a cup of coffee right it is (laughs) you know go to starbucks (laughs) yeah go yeah that's it so instead of buying that cup of coffee you know go and dedicate some money to us and uh, you will get hours of content some fantastic content on there anyway ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for this season and julian thank you uh, for joining us on this season, it's been it's been absolutely awesome as always. Thank you. I always I love hearing your perspective, even when it's dead wrong about the fountain. Uh, <laughs> and you know, I never point out that it is embarrassing. You know, uh, but no, I always learn so much, and you know, we we come at things differently. But you know, um, it, it helps me to understand. You know, mm-hmm. like that conversation of, about the fountain and the man who fell to earth is fascinating. Even about just, you know, how do you approach a movie? How do you um, rate a movie? How do you compare movies? Yeah, well, this I could refer to this as an experiment, you know, and I think I feel that this is because it's 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 a learning experiment for me, like all the time. And and I think, you'll, you know, hopefully the audience is seeing that, that we're developing and this is getting on more and more and we'll develop more in season four. So anyway, we should let everyone get back to wherever they're doing. So stay safe. Uh, thank you for listening. And uh, we'll talk again soon. There's something very important I forgot to tell you. What? Don't cross the streams.